Welcome to SkyCast episode 31, a podcast dedicated to all things The 100. I'm Brittany Perlman. And I'm Sarah McCabe. And today we'll be discussing season 6, episode 2, Red Sun Rising. So, yeah. let's get into it. <laughs> there are so many things in this episode. I loved this episode. I actually loved it a lot more than I thought I was going to. I, I didn't realize it was going to be quite so... Um, I didn't realize it was going to delve so deep into, like, characters when they were going through their psychoses. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I was really, really excited to see some great stuff with Clark and with Echo um, and even with Murphy in some ways. So, um, yeah, I I loved Oh, and of course, everything going on in space was wonderful. Octavia's storyline, it really feels like this season's going to bring me what I've always wanted with her. So I am fully on board for this ride. Yeah, I mean, I think, again... The writing is excellent in this episode. I love the way that they use flashbacks. They're very rare in this show. Oh, but I when forgot we, about the flashbacks. But when we get them, they're so good. And they they do such a good job of commenting on what's happening in our current tense of the show. Um, I just thought all of the execution in this episode was fantastic. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I, I can't wait to talk about it. But before we do, um, I just want to take a minute and remind you guys to go and rate and review us on iTunes. Helps other fans of The 100 come and find us. Um, so please go do that right now. We really, really appreciate it. Yes, thank you. Thank you every time. Okay, so let's get into it. Let's jump in um, to this flashback that I totally forgot about, but I'm now very excited to talk about. <laughs> We flash back to 236 years earlier on Alpha. A girl we find out is Josephine Lightborn is teasing a scientist, Dr. Gabriel, as he studies the eclipse. Josephine gets called away, and we find out she's with the original Legius mission team that arrived on the moon 21 days ago. Inside her tent, she talks to her father, who tells her that being on this planet is starting to make him believe in God, even though he's always been a staunch atheist. Josephine then names the planet Sanctum after the Latin word for sanctuary. Um, so I'm really excited to see a flashback. I honestly did not expect that at all, especially in the second episode. No, I was stunned. And it's, of course, about the Lightborns, who we've been questioning for one episode, I guess, since last episode. And I'm really excited to find out more about them. Do you think we're going to see any more flashbacks or is this it? I'm not sure. Well, okay. The the easy answer is yes. I think I'm pretty confident we're going to get more flashbacks um, only because we have to fill in the dots a little bit here. Um, and I think, like I was saying earlier, like I, th- I think they're going to use the original colony, colon- colonizers as a way to sort of compare and contrast to the way that our guys handle being on this new planet, um, which I think will be really interesting. But I don't think that we're only going to get flashbacks of the Lightborns. I also am expecting some flashbacks with Becca as well, but we could talk about that Oh, later. yes. Definitely. Um, I wouldn't bet my life on getting more flashbacks. Um, I'm just going to, like, call myself lucky if we do. I hope we do. Yeah. I think we <laughs> should, but you never know with this show. <laughs> yeah, I feel like in all of the trailers and like promotional stuff that they were doing there was a huge emphasis on Josephine and the Lightborn situation and I if this is the only like FaceTime we get with them I will be very surprised I would too just because I'm interested by this actress who plays Josephine um she's just got like a charisma to her and so I'd, I'd like to see more um so speaking of Josephine we officially meet her and I'm curious what your thoughts are well for starters I think she's beautiful um and very charismatic and um 
confident. I immediately like her. Um, and uh, she's a little bit of a question mark <laughs> to me, but I am excited to get to know her better. I wouldn't say I immediately like her. Mm-hmm. I think if this person were in front of me in real life she would really irritate me but she was engaging to watch like she's a character that I don't think we've seen a lot on the show yeah she's Um, really dynamic she is very dynamic I'm wondering is she like a little sociopathic at times she like feeds these children possibly poisonous fairies as like a joke that was a joke (laughs) I don't think she would have fed the children if she actually thought they were poisonous or could be poisonous I think it was a joke I think it's just meant to it was I think it was meant to demonstrate that they're on this like new planet her parents are a little bit strict with the rules obviously and she's a teenager and she's rebelling well that was my other question too is how old do you think she is I think she's like 18 19 I think she's pretty young because when I first saw this my thought was she was like early 20s it's always hard to tell when actresses are obviously older than the person that they're playing yeah um but I thought she seemed older just because of the relationship she was like carrying on with this doctor who's probably like mid-20s I mean not that you can't do that when you're younger but also you're like on a new planet are there rules I I think I think there are rules in the sense that like her parents don't say like he's too old for you they're just like don't bother him like he we can't afford a broken heart well, she seems very precocious and she seems to be very in control of her sexuality and I like that her parents seem to be okay with that oh I agree um, I agree but, but I, I, I I just genuinely don't think she's older than 21 really and then my other question was do we think that she's been trained to like classify creatures on this planet or is she just a genius and just so happens to have these skills my interpretation was that this is a byproduct of her parents who are trained and so like she has like eccentric eccentric scientists as parents and I think they probably taught her a lot of things either like before she could have explored them on her own like academically or in addition to her, you know, yeah, you know, education or whatever, I I did not get the sense that she is on this mission as a scientist, but is actually on this mission because it's a she's part of their family. What I did, feel so. I feel so too. I feel like yeah. she's almost more of like an assistant to her father, is what it sounds. Yeah, I think he just trusts her because he was the one who trained her. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's what I'm getting from this too. Okay. Yeah, I guess we'll hopefully find well, out. But more. I think we will find out. I hope we do. I find her fast. I really like her. She kind of reminds me of me in some ways. No, no, yes, she does. No, because I love you. Yeah, and I. <laughs> yeah, but if you remember the first time that you like your first impression of me was not this. I always loved you. <laughs> Where can I get away from that? I loved you. No, I was talking about when you saw me on Facebook. Well, that's a very different thing. When I first saw Britt on Facebook, um, we were thrown together to live together during the summer program, and I hadn't met her. You were, like, matched up in a housing unit. Yeah, I hadn't met her yet. And so on Facebook, she was, like – and this is – I was very judgy. I mean, I still am, but, like – I know what the word was. It just – she didn't look like the kind of person that I would genuinely hang out with. Like, you looked very, um, like, a valley girl or, like, party at Vegas girl, which you kind of are, but – but not in, really. In no way, shape, or form am I like you that. Had, you had your moments I back had, in the past. I had. You have evolved since to then. To survive <laughs> my climate. 
So anyway, I like hardcore judged her. And then when I met her, I was like, oh my God, you're my favorite person ever. (laughs) (laughs) And then I dropped a bet on my foot. But that's a different story. Um, So let's talk about this more. So the mission here. So we we get a lot of info about this mission um, that the Lightborns are on. We know that they have two phases. The first one is to research and colonize and get this place habitable for human survival and living. And then the second phase is to populate. And they brought these embryos. So I want to know, where are these embryos? What did they do with them? Are they like using women to incubate the pregnancies? Or are they growing fetuses outside of the utero? Like what's what's happening with the embryos? I mean, I would assume that with the ship they came down on the drop ship that it would have some sort of lab inside of it because you can't you know mess with human embryos in a tent you just can't do that um so they'd have to have like a sterile environment as to whether they're going to implant them or grow them in tubes i would think they're probably going to implant them like i think that's probably one of the reasons that josephine is allowed to come on this is because she's like a young woman of this is, sounds disgusting but she's breedable reproductive <laughs> <means>. yeah <laughs> Oh, God. I mean, if it sounds like they're, you know, coming to this planet to stay permanently, which it does, I think that that would be kind of a big deal for them. Like, think back to when Clark was making the list. Like, she was, you know, having to pull out, like, girls who could breed. Yeah. I hate that word. Well, (laughs) it's just interesting to think about, like, embryos and babies, and then there's, like, that horde of children at the end. I just, like, I'm not sure where do you come, you know, if you weren't. If they were not, like, hand-selected and implanted in mothers to be raised intermittently mm-hmm. whenever the mother was ready to conceive, then maybe they, like, grew them all at once, but it, they got, like, stuck somewhere or something. I don't know. I, the kids at the end are creepy. I find it weird <laughs> that they have this, like, stash of embryos somewhere, and I'm going to leave it at that. Well, uh, I mean, just coming from um, someone who's read a lot of, like, space colony, planet colonization type of books and, and seen a lot of shows, bringing embryos is pretty standard just because you're coming with, like, a set population, and it's not like you're using all those embryos at once. It's just, like, when you need to, like, yeah, yeah. Um, diversify the population, you just kind of add those in. Otherwise, you're going to, you know, be stuck with some. Yeah, you have a tiny gene Sketchy genes. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I don't think it's as creepy as we're making it sound. I do I, think... I only reason I think it's creepy is because they chose to include yeah, it. Yeah, I was going to say, that's what I was going to say. Like, I think because they actually talked about it, yeah. it's going to come back into play. Yeah, that's why I'm harping on it so yeah, much. Yeah, I agree. In fact, actually thinking, now I'm thinking through it all, I bet the lab... Is the lab where this like embryo stash was originally from is the lab that we see in the trailer the that bodies. they like break in with all of the like skeletons. Yes. Yeah. Get on my level. Okay. Well, I'm I'm getting there. It yeah. takes me a little while. <laughs> Just thinking it through. <laughs> I was like, it could go one of two ways. It could be the bodies or it could be. Oh, I don't know. I don't think it's the, I mean, I guess it could be the skeletons. That's not really. Or it the, those be... are like adult skeletons. So I don't know. We'll see. Um, other thoughts I had about this opening scene is this family is obviously highly intelligent, but they seem pretty normal. Like, I think the show goes out of its way to show that their dynamic as a family unit is pretty standard um, and average as a contrast to then how the father behaves later when he goes crazy. Um, I like the dot, the dad speech. I like the daughter sass. You know, it wasn't exactly what I was expecting from a family that if, to go and colonize a new planet but 
I like that they're normal. I think it's tragic that they are not prepared for the toxicity that happens to them. I think we read it a tiny bit differently. Not the mother and not really even Josephine, but there was that moment when her father like tells her to stop twirling her hair that just, I don't know, like left a bad taste in my mouth. Like it almost seems like a very controlling move to be making, not like just a parent being like, stop fidgeting because mm-hmm. she seems too old to be telling her that, you know? I, I, I don't know. I, I got like a little nefarious feeling about him even before we found out that he goes Well, insane. it's super possible that he has some like latent aggressive tendencies that you know we don't have enough to haven't not spent enough time with him to know if he's got like an anger issue or anger management problems um that could like manifest really horribly when the toxins take take over Mm -hmm. but I think the for the most well the way that I interpreted this is that this is like a very normal family they all have their like tics they all have like you know things that get on each other's nerves they still love each other oh yeah I mean you know um you could very be very very well right I mean I I just don't know them well enough but it, I didn't bump on it the way that you did but it's I just can, it was that one thing I, that I can me... see what you're talking about it just it didn't bump I didn't yeah. bump on it the way that you did uncomfortable yeah um another thought that I had about her dad is he said something super interesting that this place makes him almost believe in God again and I think it's super interesting to think about you know most scientists as atheists you know just because they they live in this like scientific world and use the scientific method which is you know not a faith-based I would say many many. I wouldn't say most many I mean I think they are very some scientists are very compatible with faith those are they serve different functions in their life but I also was gonna say I think a lot of scientists have a god complex um when they're creating or making whatever they're doing in their labs um And he definitely seems like the kind of guy who has like a God complex. Absolutely. Not only does he, not only is he an atheist, but he says that he got into astronomy to prove that God doesn't exist, which is kind of like an extra level of hubris that's not necessary. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it might come from that same place that you bumped on earlier, but he's just got like a bit of a, like a chunk. He's just, he's just, he just kind of seems like vaguely controlling, not like super overt. Yeah. But kind of just under the surface. And like a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. Um, but I, I do feel like this idea of, you know, the way that this show is obsessed with faith and science um, and technology and how those things interplay are going to come into play here with him and then with Josephine and how that evolves into the cult that we know it's going to be. Well, true. And I kind of want to know when he's saying this here, that being on this planet makes him believe or possibly believe in God again or, you know, for the first time. Um, I'm wondering why that is. Is it just because he's taking in like the beauty of this planet around him or has there been something it's like whispering in his ear, kind of, you know, something that we haven't even encountered, encountered yet, yet, but might encounter later this season. Sure. Yeah, that's a great question. I don't know. We'll have to find out. I'm really excited to yeah. find out. Um, one t- tiny random thought before we move on. I know we've been talking about this forever. Um, I still have a few things, too. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, I forgot. You have more notes here. Um, sorry, guys. There's just a lot to unpack here. But... Are the days the same length of time as they are on Earth here? Like, is an alpha sanctum month the same duration as an Earth month? I think for, like, a show's purposes, we're just going to assume that, yes, they probably are. Okay. Because they were saying, like, 21 days, and I was like, 21 Earth days or 21 alpha days? I think I think we should – I mean, like, if this were, like, a real mission in the real world, probably not, but – Given that it's a television show, I I'm going to say... I guess Monty yeah. did say this is the planet most like Earth. 
So we can just chalk it up to that the days are mostly similar. Yeah. Okay. And then I just, yeah, have a couple more things. So Josephine's been classifying the species here, and we see that it's really mostly small creatures. I think she says insects, rodents, and reptiles are the three major classifications she's finding. Um, but she's also found this weird, what she considers like Wayu freak category. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've yet to see these creatures. I'm, is it like supposed to be anything like the freak Drena of you know, humanity, are we going to kind of see more of that, like, sort of, like, radiation poisoning level of, um, of, what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah. Like Mutations? It, mm-hmm. Or is it just something that they just don't have on Earth? I was actually thinking of it more in terms of, like, in season one where we saw that, like, two-headed deer. Well, that was radiation, though. Yeah, no, I know, but I guess, I, I guess it's the same, um, effects that are happening to humans just happening in animals um well and then my other like my question is like in the trailer we saw that snake that had the creepy little tongue that would like drill into you yeah, and had the like teeth 12 eyes. and all the eyes like is she considering that a freak because it has all the eyes like a insect but like stings like y- y- you know yeah. like well i guess that's a good question especially if annihilation the movie was one of their influences where they're like is like this like cross species mm-hmm. genetic mutations happening and if that was an inspiration and a reference for this then maybe that's what they're talking about and we just haven't seen them yet i was just wondering if that was what she was considering a freak instead of like a reptile um i guess we'll find out yeah but just something to call something out to think about and then of course we finally get our first use of sanctum here when josephine names the planet um so we didn't get it last episode so it was cool that we finally got to hear what it is. Yeah. So the planet is Sanctum. The planet is Sanctum. That's what we're going to call it from now on. And I'm also calling this a planet, not a moon, because I will never remember that it's a moon. So. Yeah. I think for all intents and purposes, yeah. we can consider it a planet. Okay. Then moving on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, even though her father told her to stay away from Dr. Gabriel, we immediately flash forward to Josephine and him making out. Josephine suddenly realizes the insects have stopped chirping, and she bets it's because of the eclipse. Suddenly, the two of them hear some sort of sonic anomaly, and they rush back to camp, where they find her father seemingly out of his mind. He kills Josephine's mother and then slashes Josephine's throat, all while screaming that Sanctum belongs to him. So, there's also a ton of stuff to unpack here. (laughs) Um, Not only... So, the first thing I wanted to mention is that, like, not only is Josephine incredibly intelligent, she also has these, like, amazing instincts. Like, she's, like highly like developed sense of like awareness for mm-hmm. a young woman who's in the middle of a makeout session yeah. with a super hot dude <laughs> like she's like wow can you multitask <laughs> um like are you not into what's Isn't going it on weird that the insects suddenly yeah. stop chirping in the middle of our makeup session like she's a really highly developed sense of, of hearing um also reminds me of clark in that way um in the sense that like she's she's just very aware of her surroundings yeah. and how they affect her and the way that she is interplaying with everything that's going on around her. Her mind is operating on several levels. Several levels, yeah. She's like playing three layers of chess, <laughs> um, which I love. And so I thought that was cool. Another thing I wanted to call out was we see the bikes. Yes. Can't wait to see more of them this mm-hmm. season. They're going to be super old. <laughs> I would not be getting on a 200-year-old bike. Brett but- did mention that and I hadn't even considered that, but like you're totally right yeah I'm not getting on a bike that's six months old so I'm definitely not getting on one that's 200 years old but that's just me um my question is what is the sonic anomaly because quite honestly I 
barely heard it. I heard nothing. I honestly thought it was like exigent music. Yeah, I did too. Or like exigent sounds that they like production overlaid on the show. It was hard because they had music in the background. If it had been totally silent, that would be different. But I, I, and I don't know because of that, if we've heard this Sonic Anomaly before in episode one, or if this is the first time we're hearing it. I feel like if it's significant, they should have done a better job of calling it it clear. Mm Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I'm just going to, like, go with the fact that, like, she can hear it and that's fine. Well, whatever it is, they made a point to call it out and it seems kind of like a big deal. Um, But I don't understand exactly what it is or what it could be. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess I'm I'm assuming we have to find out. In my, like, heart, do I think it's the swirly do making a call? Like a noise? Yes, I do. (laughs) It's his voice. (laughs) that's who's whispering in her dad's ear one word boom (laughs) (laughs) well um we we know that josephine lives because she has to write the red sun rising book and because russell is one of the lightborn descendants and it seems like josephine's the only one of like childbearing age um aside from her mother and it seems like her mother's dead right yeah the mother is clearly dead uh, did did note though that her mom did have night blood. You saw the night blood yeah. like coming out of her mouth, so uh, it's there. They they all have it. Um, but I kind of wonder, number one, how does Josephine get out of this? Uh, does her father die, or does he like run off into the woods and become some sort of mythic creature? You know, like like what happens with this, and who does she populate with? Is it Gabriel? <laughs> it's definitely Gabriel. I hope so, because he's he, he's a good-looking scientist. And he's he struck gold. He is super into her, so <laughs> I ship it, <laughs> like into it. Yeah, hardcore into it. <laughs> um, one last thing I wanted to call out here. Um, he, uh, excuse me, the dad. I don't think we know his name. I don't we? think so either, unless it was like put in the uh, IMDb, but I didn't. Check. I'm gonna call him Dilf. So <laughs> <laughs> he is. He's Robin Hood from I, uh, One I, Once Upon a Time. Yeah. He's hot. <laughs> um, so Dilf screams in the middle of his psychosis, Sanctum is mine. And this like super throaty, very Bob Morley-esque tone of voice. It's very scary. Um, and I'm just wondering, like, why do we think he says this, like, within the context of what we know that the toxins affect the brain? Like, we see it manifest in other characters in this episode. And what do we think it is about this planet and his mission here that is, like, driving this proclamation well I'm still kind of trying to work out and I'll be doing this as we talk this episode but I'm trying to work out exactly how the toxins affect them and what they bring out in people Mm -hmm. but it seems like with him he might have had coming onto this mission he might have kind of had some sort of hubris and thinking like I will be the first one to colonize this planet and that's kind of been at the back of his mind and then the toxin brought that out in a really violent way Mm -hmm. um with the other characters I thought it seemed a little bit more like their insecurities that were coming out um but I can't quite relate that to what he's saying here with what I know of him well I think okay so I just when you were talking right now it made me think of something which is I am not convinced that the toxin affects everybody in the same way Mm and that I don't believe that everyone is exhibiting signs of insecurity. I think some people it's aggression, some people it's um, paranoia or fear, some people it is insecurity. I think it depends on who they're with and their state of mind when they're affected. Um, 
and I think that this toxin is like has a, a much like broader range of possibilities and what it can do to your psyche versus than just like picking on one specific thing and I it I mean like just for me like if you're thinking about this you know I think his what you were saying earlier like his his whole shtick is he's the father he's an alpha he this is like you know clearly he's a leader and a groundbreaking scientist he has probably like a lot of accolades behind him and is seeking to like you know prove to himself once and for all something and clearly like working through some stuff (laughs) and I think there is a huge huge amount of unknowns and mystery on a planet that you are colonizing first and I think just like asserting your control over that is a way to establish some security in yourself and to assuage some of those fears and I think that's what we're seeing here I also think it is super interesting like you were saying that most of the characters that we know later on who are affected by these toxins it does seem like it's a little bit more self-reflective and a little bit more of a uh um uh an effect and of like them and like their demons that they're working through whereas this is clearly like his personality if you will. Um, but I think that has to do with age. He's much older than them. Possibly. I mean, I, I will say with all of the other characters, I can trace their actions to like specific insecurities that they might have. Mm-hmm. But with him, it, something just feels slightly different. And I could be, you know, just nitpicking too much on this, but I wonder if it has to do with what we think this possible life is on the planet. And if that has in some way affected him too or maybe it's not even him maybe he's just a copy already you know (laughs) it's true I don't know know. but I I really hope we get more about his character um just given the ominous feelings I was getting even before this scene I just I feel like there's got to be something left to uncover there I'm sure especially because the 100 like they're notorious for that I mean they love giving you characters with layers and depths and complexities and I don't think the writers would be satisfied with just giving us this one tiny glimpse at them I don't think as a viewer we're satisfied look I'm just saying I would usually agree but last season I got burned a lot by me thinking we would get more backstory of things and we did not so true I'm trying to you know just be optimistic but also not expect too much from them you've been burned before (laughs) I have been burned before uh so in the current time Jackson is patching up Murphy from Amori's knife wound they've tranked Amori and Clark after reading the Red Sun Rising children's book has figured out that there's a toxin in the air that messes with human nervous systems Amori falls Amori fell into some plants when they were fleeing the swarm last episode and that might be why she was affected the quickest but they could all be affected soon so they decide to separate and chain themselves up with the restraints they've seen chained to the walls first and foremost echo looks so damn good in this scene (laughs) like hot damn I honestly like the more I look at echo the more the like more beautiful she gets there there was just a close-up shot of her uh the camera like pans over to her face like in most of the shots everybody was paired up with another person they were there was more than one person in the view um but they did like a close-up of her by herself and it was just like a it was like portrait mode she looked like she was like a painting and I was just struck by it like the lighting was great everything was great it was whoa it is the CW still and all of these people are gorgeous but like especially the women yeah. <laughs> the, you know we got like Clark Amori Raven Echo uh, Octavia 
they're all just like gorgeous and like different looking women I, yeah. I don't know I we but should I, probably stop harping on it but well no because I think it's important to note the difference because I feel like the there is a an emphasis on beauty and um and glowing and like freshness in this season that has been not apparent that is true um up through now they're all freshly bathed they are very fresh looking people um which is like it's a new thing it is right and it's it's an indicative of this new this new chapter in the series and a new chapter in the season and just the new um setting so i do think it's i mean we don't need to keep talking about it but it's not just for the aesthetic there is actual substantial things to discuss okay i'm with you I, I think they're all gorgeous, so. <laughs> I mean, everyone on this show is good looking. Uh, but Murphy is also really in prime form in this scene. Like, he is out for blood. Oh, yeah. Um, and I kind of want to know, like, how do we think he was emotionally affected by Amori screaming? What did she say? That she that she thought he would hurt them all, and that's why she was trying to take him out? Yeah. Um, <laughs> given that that's what he must think, wh- what he must think that means about what Amori truly feels about him. Yeah, I mean, I think you nailed it in one um i i feel like richard has given so many interviews about how he left amori emotionally last season um because he could feel her pulling away from him and not in a bad way she was just expanding her family she was just ha- making she was just friends. making friends <laughs> murphy um but you know before she could get he could give her the chance to leave him he left her and i think he has a tremendous amount of guilt over that because he knows he was wrong. And I think he worries that Amori will never really forget or forgive him for it, even if they're back together. I mean, they didn't have the resolution that we really wanted them to have last season, like most things. Um, and so I feel like this is this is another example for Murphy of him screwing up and it coming back to haunt him. I think that... You know, I, I was a little disappointed that they got back together after having done so little work on themselves and their relationship. Mm-hmm. But I still think it's possible this season that we'll see them work through those issues, even if they're going to be together. You know? I agree. I and I, we I talked hope... about this a little bit last episode, too. Yeah, I hope that's the case. I did read an interview today from Jason Rothenberg, and he mentioned that um, Murphy has a really strong arc this season strong sometimes negatively as well um especially going off of what happens to him between the end of this episode and the next episode what he experiences um so i'm just i'm really curious jason said that we would end up hating murphy at some points and i'm like what else can he do you know like he we we hate him a lot of times but he still is murphy so like what's he going to do that's gonna like really make us turn on him yeah it's such a good question I read that interview too and it it sounds like there's something like really big that makes him question his choices and his actions for the rest of the season and good I just don't know what that could be though I hope it's like I mean like even if it starts out negatively I hope that he also comes out the other side stronger because I I do think that um uh what's his name Richard 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 Harmon had mentioned that this was his favorite Murphy season so far. Um, And so I hope that that, you know, really holds meaning by the end of this season. Yeah. I'm so excited. It's only episode two, guys, but I'm feeling very good about this. 
Um, another thing I wanted to note about this scene is, again, we're seeing this new version of Bellamy 3.0, as I like to call him, which is like a blending of Bellamy 2.0, but with humor. Um, <laughs> He's had the humor upgrade. It's, yeah. <laughs> he got the humor chip implanted. It's like Bellamy 2.1. <laughs> no, I like 3.0. 3.0? Yeah. Okay. I'm in charge of naming things. <laughs> Obviously, with the swirly do, I am the crowned winner. Um so, yeah, he's really super calm in this scene. Everybody's kind of spinning out of control around him and getting real, real uh, freaky about what's going to happen. And he's just like maintains a level of calm that I love, but is also really compelling when you think, you know, how it contrasts with when he actually is affected by the toxin later in the episode and he loses control. You know, you can just see the whole spectrum of Bob Morley's acting in this episode. And he is amazing and also the whole evolution about how bellamy started as a character and what he's become now and and like all of the different versions of bellamy there have been absolutely yes you see every single phase and every single aspect and facet of his his personality um and i i love it like when you can see in the beginning here that he is like so in control of himself and his faculties and then by the end of the episode like everything has been stripped away and he is just this like chaotic pure energy Mm. we'd mentioned when we were watching this that um you know we had a lot of issues with bellamy last season even though we were saying yes he's probably the healthiest version of bellamy he also number one wasn't always the smartest version of bellamy and then number two was just boring yeah he wasn't super fun to watch and i'm really loving this like slight upgrade he got where he's like still got that control and he's still you know really just level-headed um but he also is funny yeah and, like can like crack a joke well that's the thing is like i think he has like a personality like the writers like gave him a pers- his personality back yeah um well God. bob bob morley had mentioned that this season felt like a return somewhat to, to season one murphy or sorry to season one bellamy and both of you and i were like what does that mean yeah because season one bellamy is like a completely different creature than what we have now but also still super oh, I attractive loved, like, i, I loved, loved season one bellamy but i think maybe that could be what he means is just he's allowed to be a little bit more funny more sardonic now and just like have be a little bit more playful with the yeah. character and and have it like loosened up a bit yeah i love that um i do want to say just a very quick note that i love how quickly clark figures out why amori was affected so quickly because um I wouldn't have figured it out. No, but it was, she's Clark. Amori fell into some plants, and now she's affected. I mean, first. if anybody was going to make that jump correctly, it's Clark. Oh, sure. I mean, she's Clark does it so smart every episode. I love how smart she is. Oh, look, it's a radiation fence. I okay, must be able to. Pass that it. I took issue with. That was super dumb. <laughs> it was like, please don't jump into the electrified fence. Um, but I do, I do love how consistently they make her the smartest person in the room when Raven isn't there. And sometimes when Raven is there, that's true. Um, yes. I also wanted to ask you, I thought it was super interesting as they were pairing up people that echo immediately volunteered to stay with Amori. Like I would have assumed she was going to go with Bellamy, but she didn't even, she didn't even think about it. She was like, I'll stay with Amori. I think that Echo really, you know, when you think back to the comparisons that used to be made between Clark and Bellamy, where Bellamy was the like knight and Clark was the queen or king. Yeah. Um, I think Echo in her personality, she's not what I would consider a leader. I think she truly is like, 
like a knight and a warrior and a spy and all of those things that lead her to want to protect the people that she's caring about. And I think she trusts Bellamy more so than anyone to be able to protect himself. And so she, in her mind, would be like the logical one to want to stay with Amori because she trusts herself more than anyone but Bellamy to protect Amori. You know what I mean? Yeah, I love that interpretation. I, I think that's great. It makes perfect sense to me. In the schoolroom, Murphy is trying to seal the doors to keep the outside air from coming in, which Clark says is pointless. Murphy tells Clark it's as pointless as locking himself up with the commander of death. Bellamy comes in and forces Murphy to chain himself up, and Bellamy keeps the keys to everyone's chains, and he gives Clark his own key. Murphy makes a crack that he hopes the people who stole their dropship won't find them all chained up after they kill everyone on the mothership, which Clark does not find amusing. So... As soon as I realized that this episode was going to be Clark, Murphy, and Bellamy alone tied up in a room together, I was like, this is everything I've ever wanted. This is what I've ever, like, this is the only thing this show could ever give me that would make me the, the happiest. You know oh, what I mean? Like, yeah. Also, just to add to that mix to make it even more special, cherry on top, we're going to give them a toxin that makes them psychotic as well so that they have no control over their impulses it's true i mean i would have i would have kind of wished that that toxin came out when they were all chained together because then we could have really gotten into some stuff but (laughs) it's so great but even what we did get was amazing it just lays some really excellent groundwork for the rest of the season (laughs) and clark and bellamy in this scene specifically are so in sync like when bellamy comes into the room like you know, hands Clark the key. Like, they, they just, the way that they move and the way they work together, it's like they don't even need to look at each other to figure out what the other one's about to do. They just, like, get it. Yeah, it's a dance. I mean, they it's they are so attuned to each other and they, they're, like, magnetic. I mean, they just move around each other like bodies in a galaxy. Like, they are, it's beautiful to watch them move. I wonder how often, how many times they have to practice because they make it look so smooth. I mean, I think that the actors, Eliza and Bob, know each other really well at this point. And they, yeah. They just honestly have such great chemistry, even from the first season, that I think it's just like one of those fortuitous things My about product. two actors that really work well together. Yeah, I agree. They are like a boy band in this episode, though. I was, I did think it was funny that Clark got the key instead of Murphy, and I just wondered what Murphy thought about that whole situation. Yeah. Like, I mean, you could see it written yeah. all over his face. He wasn't happy. <laughs> He's like, Murphy, you have to be chained up. I'm going to keep your key, but Clark can keep my key. Yeah. <laughs> you get no key. You get no, no keys. keys for Murphy. <laughs> you go, gun, go, go. <laughs> I also love, you know, I think it's a great characterization to see that, you know, Bellamy, who has been living with Murphy for six years in space and is used to his jibes and his bullshit it's almost unfazes him at this point I mean oh, yeah. like you know he's just like nice one Murphy like da 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 sure you just cracked a joke about Maddie dying on you know like meanwhile Clark who has been away from Murphy for six years and has only had Maddie as company is like completely desensitized or sensitized to it again resensitized mm-hmm. to it again um and is super super on edge and you know like a perfect target for Murphy. Well, sure. I mean, I think first off, Bellamy just now just knows how to handle Murphy so well. Yeah. Like he's been the dad and Murphy's had such a, you know, so many issues on board the ship that Bellamy had to deal with <laughs> that he's at this point, just like he's, he's like bro, like you said. Yeah. Um, but with Clark, it's not just that she's resensitized to Murphy's comments, but it's also the guilt that she holds from last season is still so fresh that like, his comments compounded with her own guilt just is it's very cutting to her yeah i think it's a great point 
On the mothership, Octavia and Nyla are sparring, uh, <clears throat> or foreplay. I, I'm not really sure Flirting. what it is, <laughs> but something. Uh, then Octavia ends up punching a wall over and over, seemingly losing it for a moment. The ship alarm alerts them that someone's docking, but when Octavia and Abby go to welcome the Alpha team back, they find the invaders in black suits instead. The invaders gas them all unconscious, noting meanwhile that Octavia has red blood. The leader then gives the order to secure the ship. So, just to get this out of the way, there is a lot of Octavia Octavia to get into this episode. There's This is a huge Octavia episode. We're going to save most of it for later, just so we don't repeat ourselves. Um, but I will say right now, obviously, it's just like an opening note. She is unstable, clearly not in control of her faculties. Um, but we're going to talk about all of this later. So we're not ignoring anything, perhaps. Especially not ignoring how sexy this first part of the scene was. Yeah, it was, it was real <laughs> it hot. It was great. Um, but I did want to note, you know, I don't want to get too deep into Octavia's um, issues yet, but there's a really cool uh, effect they do with the sound when Octavia first punches the wall. It's like everything is going at normal speed and normal volume um, until she hits that wall. And then, like, when Nyla asks her if she's okay and we, like, zoom in on Octavia's face, like, everything just goes muted and it's like she's everything's happening underwater and as she's like punching it's it's almost like she's not realizing what she's doing yeah and it's a numbing effect yeah the more she punches the more aggression she acts out the less she She has to pay attention to what's going on around her it was just a really cool effect it was really well done agreed um so quick question who the hell are these invaders and what do they want well i'm assuming the invaders live in sanctum even if it's not their home, we'll get to that later. Yeah. I'm not sure. I was going to say, do we know I that? don't know. I'm not sure. But I would say possibly yes. Sure. Um, At least they, I guess Sanctum is the planet. So I'm talking about the like specific society on, yeah, top, yeah. Of the, on top of the mountain. The castle. Um, the castle. Yeah. The Disneyland. Um, So I guess that's where they're from. What they want in my mind is just they don't know what the people on the mothership want so they want to take control of the situation before anything bad can happen i don't think they come onto this ship with nefarious intentions um it seems like they do but i think it's more of like a fact-finding mission and they obviously might go about it the wrong way by you know drastically underestimated gassing people and throwing them and locking them together in a room but um i i don't feel like they had plan to hurt them yeah okay but I I could be wrong (laughs) yeah I feel like there's like some information we get at the end of this episode that makes me question some of that but we can talk about it later yeah um it also just is clear that they must too have night blood because they specifically noted that Octavia has red blood which Mm -hmm. was a a, a, an interesting thing to them yes so Octavia wakes up in the mess hall. The invaders have locked up all of Sky Crew in the room. Jordan says this room was made to secure the Allegius prisoners in an emergency. Octavia tries to get help from a one crew member who had worked in engineering, but he hates Octavia for leading them into a gorge into the gorge massacre. Abby realizes they don't need an engineer inside the mess hall because there's already one outside, Raven. The invaders have not caught her yet. Yeah. So again, not to get too much into the Octavia of this, um, but I did want to call out that she is clearly still in denial about her culpability in the events of last season. Uh, I don't think she's, I mean, dealt with this at all. And it's also interesting that she still considers herself at the top of the, like, hierarchy. Like, she still thinks she's in charge, 
in some ways and then also starts negging her quote unquote people Mm -hmm. about where they would be without her and that they would be nothing without her which I just is like another step down from where I mean it's this is a really bad look for her we'll talk about it more um, when we get to the later scene I wouldn't necessarily say she's in denial um but let's hold off until we really get to the meat of that. Yeah, I really wanted to call out the negging in this because I don't think we've seen her do that to this degree before. She hasn't needed to. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. So now she's completely lost control. That's what I'm saying. Like there are precipitating events that lead up to her breakdown later. And I think this is one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, we do see Abby here taking on like some sort of leadership role among the, yeah. the sky crew yeah i mean i i'm not really sure if they consider raven to be the leader or abby at this point but it does seem like it's one or the two you know yeah agreed and i do think you know abby is very familiar with being a leader i mean she was one of the lead doctors she was on i don't even know what you would call that democratic you know the council government back on council the, yeah on the and then she yeah. eventually became I can't remember any of the words. Chancellor? Chancellor. But that was very briefly left. Briefly. But I'm just saying she's she's been in politics for a long time, and I think she's used to being in some kind of leadership position. If not, if she, she may not be comfortable there, and she may not be good at it, but I think she's used to it. True. I mean, she definitely hasn't been a leader for a long time, not just in um, the yeah. uh, underground bunker, but also even before that, it's been a couple of seasons since she was really in a position of power. Um, but maybe it's just like riding a bike and like – if you're that kind of person who's done it before, you just kind of fall, fall back, back into, into it, it. when I think no one else is picking up I was going to say, especially if there's a vacuum and it needs to be filled. But she just seemed so in command this whole episode. Everyone listened to everything she said. Yeah, I think they're used to looking to her for answers. Um, and she did a pretty good job. Yeah, I agree. Questionable I mean, in some uh, we, places. But but for the most part, I you know, it was a good happy episode. Um. I did also think it was interesting that Abby was the first and possibly only person to notice that Raven wasn't in the room and that remember that she was outside. I thought this was a really interesting callback to season one when she was the first person who discovered Raven and then they started working on the dropship together. It just gave me really, really big season one vibes. And I liked it. I think this was a a cue. At least it was to me. I took it as such an indication that they're going to work out some of their differences and maybe get back to a, a better, if not, you know, perfect place than they were before. I hope so. I I do think that um, when Octavia woke up, the others probably hadn't been awake that long. So it could have just been like, we're still trying to get our bearings. And that's why they hadn't realized that Raven wasn't there. Yeah, I'm sure you but, can chalk at this up to just like a practical level. But I think the writers don't do anything on accident. So that you, maybe, you hope. <laughs> maybe I'm just taking, maybe I'm just interpreting this the way that I want to. But that's what I hope for. <laughs> um, I also thought it was interesting how uncomfortable Raven, I mean, Octavia was um, with the idea of outsourcing and leaving the rescuing to Raven instead of doing it herself. She's clearly uncomfortable just waiting to be rescued, especially since it means she's just left alone with her thoughts with nothing to do. Um, I think that's the thing. It's not like her outsourcing the the rescue but it's just like when she has nothing to do she just has to be with herself that's what I mean yeah, yeah I don't think she I don't think this is a pride thing I yeah. think this is like a necessity thing where she just cannot sit still with herself mm-hmm. um so again she's she's like stuck in a room her claustrophobia is kicking in we know she doesn't do well in walls and cages obviously <laughs> um so all of these things are just leading up to an ultimate showdown yeah 
Uh, we flash to the cryo room where Raven is waking up Dioza. Dioza in the house. I'm so excited. Um, Dioza immediately knows something is wrong. Raven tells her they're being hijacked, and Dioza realizes that they'll have to that they'll have seen her cryopod open and be on their way to check it out. The invaders come in and gas the room, and they find Dioza seemingly asleep in her pod. But when they go to put her back under, Dioza breaks out and kills them while Raven watches from inside another cryopod. This was so epic. It was awesome. Yeah, you could barely let me get the words out before you. <laughs> I'm so excited in. about this. I could have watched this a million times. This, I mean, this, I have a favorite scene and it wasn't this, but this might be my like second favorite scene or at least tied for second. It was real good. It was really good. And I, I got, I'm just so happy that Dio's is awake because I'm tired of her not being awake. <laughs> I know it was one episode without her and I missed her dearly. It was, it was rough. <laughs> Um, and she's just such a bamf, man. She just like immediately, well, first off, they wake up really fast from cryo. This is very advanced technology. <laughs> um, but she just like is rare and to go and like immediately figures out why Raven's here, why Raven woke her up specifically. And then she figures out this plan about how to take down these men who are coming in minutes. And then she executes it flawlessly. Yeah. And by execute, I mean that quite literally. <laughs> um, so yeah, she's wonderful. She's my queen. Uh, and oh, she's still pregnant, yeah. which now personally I think is a bad choice given what we had theorized from our trailer discussion. I know. I, that would have been so good. I mean, like, just on a logical level, why is she still pregnant? Why wouldn't they? Because, like, we can't have a baby. She can't just, like, chill out with the baby if she's still going to be on the show, which is a question. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but just, like, being pregnant is kind of a liability in these situations. Maybe she just stays pregnant forever. Forever. <laughs> It would have been really interesting to me to see her as a mother, and I mean, maybe we still will, but given that I think we probably won't go back into cryo, um, I don't think we'll get the same level of motherhood as we would if we had seen her with, like, a, like, six-year-old girl, you know? Yeah, no, she's going to be a mo- mother to an infant newborn is yeah. different than being a mother to a child. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I do love that, you know, I got to give props to Raven that she really immediately recognizes what she can't do herself and what she needs from someone else and recognizes also that it's Dioza that she needs it from. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's exactly what you were saying last episode in that she has, she's not capable of making the tough choices. Um, she seems completely fine with other people. Well, not fine, but happy to give that responsibility over to other people named Clark or Dioza. <laughs> and yet sometimes still blames them for those choices, even though she's not ready to make them herself. Yeah, I mean, we won't harp on it too much. No. But I, I did really like this pair up because these characters are so different. But we'll, we'll get there in a little bit. Yeah, but it's also just important to note how similar Clark and Dioza are. Oh, like yeah. The we've, way we've said it many, many times. times. And the way that Raven relates to both of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Back in the schoolroom, Murphy says that he always ends up being tied up whenever Clark's around. First, she hangs him in season one. Then she ties him up the night Lexa died. And of course, she tied him up to, uh, she tied him and Moria back in Becca's lab. He even needles her about the drawing she made of her memories. After taking this all silently for a while, Clark loses control and snaps back at Murphy about how sorry she is and how she never meant for anyone to get hurt, but she's still okay being the bad guy if that's what they need her to be. So this scene really mirrors the Octavia Kane scene from last episode for me because it's kind of Murphy going in and like running off a list of Clark's crimes against him and, and her friends or 
and their friends. And he's not wrong. Like all of these things she did, all of these things were questionable choices that she made. You know, whether or not I could understand why she made them is not really the the question here. Um, and then like Clark kind of snapping back that like she recognizes she did those things, but like she would she would do them differently, but she can't. You know, I, I, I just I really liked that kind of parallel scenes we got here from the first episode in this episode. Yeah, I think it's a, a testament to the writing. I think they are really committed to airing out the dirty laundry and baggage this season. This is this is what we wanted. This is what we were asking for. And I can only praise them for it over and over again. Yeah. Um, another great moment of humor for Melanie <laughs> when Murphy was like running through the list at first and then he was like, in fairness, that was me. <laughs> um, I just love it. I love it. I love the humor. I will take it over Stoic Bellamy every day of the week and twice on Sunday. We like burst out laughing at that point. Oh my God. It was watched it. so funny. <laughs> We all remember the like, this is your fault, princess. This is on you. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, also like Murphy is so, so angry and he's got the, he's, he's like worked himself up into this rage and he's like throwing these insults at, at Clark. And then just Bellamy cuts the tension completely. He deflates and diffuses the tension in like an instant. (laughs) It was so great. It was a great delivery. Um, also I wanted to say this this is the kind of scenario that that is that makes for the best character um development like when you put these character combinations together it makes magic right Mm -hmm. i think with murphy who is the only person capable of getting clark to this place emotionally like we were talking about nobody else could do this and would do this other than murphy but we needed him and her in a room together so that she could get to this place and burst out with this you know um confession at the end asking and also you know you know she she's just she's so frustrated because she's done what she didn't she can't change that she can't change anything that she's done and even though her friends often ask her to make these choices you know she'll she ultimately always hurts someone and she just can't find the choice that doesn't hurt people it's 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 hard like she always looks for the third choice and sometimes the third choice also kills people you know it's just like what's the right path through these she doesn't know we still don't know as a as a as followers of this show we haven't seen the right path and we're hoping that this season might lead us to that right path but yeah I just I just love that the writers are smart enough to put these guys in a room together to get to these kinds of revelations my question is, um, what do we think Murphy really wants from Clark? Like, does he want just an apology for what she did? Or does he really want her to admit that she is a bad person? Um, because I kind of feel like there's a part of Murphy that really wants Clark to be knocked down to his level because he's got this, like, complex about always being useless. And Clark has been praised as a god to them for the last like six years um when they were in space like you know she was their savior and and now like she's disappointed him as well and I think he number one lost a hero but also like wants her to admit that they are the same I think it's that's true I think that's definitely part of it but I do think there is a bit of him that really wants an apology I mean like she says I'm sorry, is that what you want to hear? And then at the end of all of that, he is like, it's a start. I think he wants an apology for her. And I think he wants to see her 
make I think he he wants her to make up for making him feel bad. Well, yeah, you bring in the it's a start thing. That was where my question came from because Clark did say that she was sorry in the beginning of that speech, but where she ended it was, I'll be the bad guy, okay? Is that what you want to hear, Murphy? And, like, so what I was questioning was, was she talking about the I'll be the bad guy part or was she talking about the I'm sorry part? Personally, I do not think Murphy thinks she is the bad guy. I think that he doesn't agree with her choices and that she hurt him um but I don't think Murphy is in a position self-aware or unaware that he would ever call her the bad guy I don't know if Murphy really thinks of a lot of people as bad bad guys guys. and good guys I think it's more of he wants Clark to admit that she's not as good as everyone else always thinks or says that she is and I don't I don't even think that Murphy doesn't still love and idolize Clark because I think he does and that's one of the reasons why he's so hurt by this totally um but we do get more of that like good guy bad guy dynamic here about Clark you know saying I'll be the bad guy for you as I don't know if we've heard specifically um in those terms before in this show but we've definitely had that feeling that Clark again like bears it when they don't have to like she takes on the responsibility so they won't have to. Um, so Clark, you know, becomes the bad guy so they don't have to. And I, I do hope that we will work on that this season so that she doesn't have to either. Like, I, I just hope they can all find a different way forward than one of them having to, like, you know, plunge the knife into themselves to save everyone else. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, why do we think, though, that Clark brings up the moment that Bellamy says back in um, season three in Heckledama about when she's in charge, people die? Because she was having this argument with Murphy, and then suddenly she turns on Bellamy and throws back something that he said in her face, throws back in his face something that she said, or that, sorry, <laughs> he throws... Nope. She throws. <laughs> she throws in his face something that he said to her back in season three, and he was saying it to her when he wasn't in a great headspace either. Well, that's what I think is so interesting about this, because she's having an argument with Murphy. I don't think very many people, I mean, we have not seen many people uh, con- confront her in this way um, throughout the show. Mm-hmm. At least it hasn't been televised. And I think one of the few times that that ever happened where she really got punched in the face verbally was with Bellamy I think that moment I don't think she's ever quite gotten over that moment yeah um I think it's stuck with her forever and I think it has impacted her the way she thinks about herself clearly from that moment onward and I think this is just a kind of like a round two of the same fight but instead of it about being Bellamy she's talking to it's Murphy but Bellamy is still in the room um well he's not only in the room but she brings him into the argument yeah uh, that's what I'm just saying. Yeah. It's like she she's not she hasn't forgiven herself from the accusations that he's made to her then, and I I think she is still working through it. So that that's kind of the way that I saw that. I also kind of wondered if this is some latent anger that we're getting from her for what he did last season with um, Maddie and the chip. You know, it all worked out, I guess, in the end. Um, but again, as much as Bellamy still has tension from her leaving him in the fighting pits I think she might still have a little tension toward him too like I think them working it out might need to be both ways sure like I think that they're back on the same team again but they have you know they have stuff to they work got, on they're not um, totally sim- sympathetic yeah um, I did want to say that I, I thought that they did a really great job playing with perspective at this point too because as we're watching it like we are at this point 
under the assumption that Murphy's heated aggression toward Clark is is being caused by the toxin or at least being heightened from the effects of the toxin Mm -hmm. we have no way of knowing at this point that this is not the the toxin at all this is a hundred percent Murphy he just seems to be on everyone else's level all the time um you know it's interesting because I didn't when I was watching this, I wasn't thinking he was being affected by the toxins. This seemed very real for him. Yeah, yeah. It, it didn't seem out of character. Like, we see Bellamy especially later on. Well, um, I think I at this point, I thought, like, we were seeing with Amori, it was, like, building in mm-hmm. him. That he hadn't quite lost control yet, but it was playing with his emotions and maybe pushing the anger button, like, a little bit more than it would have normally been. Mm-hmm. Uh, clearly, like this is totally in character and it doesn't need a lot of explanation of like how this would, you know, how does this play it without the toxin? It plays just fine. Yeah. Um, but I do love that from the first time watching it around, like at this point we just kind of assume that something's happening physiologically here, but it's not, um, (laughs) it's just, it's a really great revelation at the end when we realize that like he has no, effect whatsoever oh I love that it we'll was talk about that. amazing so I like that this at this point in the show they're starting to like play the bait and switch with us a little mm-hmm. bit it's really well done um they hear Miller yelling and Clark and Bellamy unlock themselves and go to check on him upstairs Miller's screaming and scratching at his skin and Jackson thinks that he might have bugs inside of him but when they let Jackson check on him Jackson starts attacking Miller with a knife Realizing that both Jackson and Miller are being affected by the toxins, Bellamy and Clark trank them both. Bellamy questions how two people can have the same hallucination, and Clark says they have no idea how to survive on this planet. I I have said this so many times before, but bear with me. I love when this show plays with genre. I think it's so fun when they get to do different kinds of stuff, mm-hmm. and I love this sort of like thriller, monster, you know, shaky cam sitch I think it's great and it works super well yeah I mean like talking about the the camera work I usually don't notice that kind of stuff but there was that that specific shot where Bellamy had been thrown on the ground and then he looks over and we kind of like focus in on the terrarium Mm -hmm. and the bugs are all dead and he like starts to put it together that like you are both hallucinating right now yeah yeah so true it was just great work yeah I mean and that's something I was going to mention too how good the pacing is here because a lot of the times the show is ahead of us and I like that I like that we are constantly playing catch up to what the show knows versus what we know Mm -hmm. um maybe not what the characters know but what we're being shown um and I like for once that it's really nice when we know something that the characters don't know and I love that we get these like little clues like you're saying with the terrarium and Bellamy is we're piecing this together at the same time he is that this is there's something not right here something is off Something is weird. Yeah. Um, And I, they just, it, it's so great. They did such a good job. I did love the, you know, little bit of exposition that we got that the bug terrariums are being used as early warning signals. Mm-hmm. And that's why they all have them in their houses. Because I was wondering that earlier. I was like, why do they have like a bug terrarium like by this um, sanctuary, this shrine? Well, also, especially like we know that the bugs are, they're not, they're not thinking of them like pets. They're like. Yeah, they're Lethal. like canaries and coal mines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I just liked that little, uh, that little nugget. Yeah, it's great. Um, we get Bellamy saying you're really questioning how two people can have the same hallucination, and it didn't seem that weird to me at the time. Like it seemed more like 
Miller started thinking he had bugs under his skin and then him putting that suggestion in Jackson's mind led Jackson to like think the same thing but the way that Bellamy said it made it sound like it's going to be like a you know big deal later on yeah I actually when he said it I also felt like it was a big deal and not because he said it but I was also thinking the exact same thing like how are these two people sharing a hallucination um and it kind of reminded me of Annihilation like I got like major Annihilation vibes in this scene where in this episode you keep talking about it well yeah (laughs) no all through well I think throughout the season but specifically in this scene because um this idea of like cross-pollination and how you like two different bodies can be experiencing the same thing and then they're like changing the DNA of the other just by having both mutually experienced it at the same time is really fascinating and this is like happening on like a psychological but also biological level um like chemically Mm -hmm. and so I think that's super cool and super interesting and we see this play out again in this episode in multiple different ways so and we can talk about that when we get there but it doesn't feel like it's just a manner, of, uh, just a matter of suggestion. It does feel like they are actually both experiencing the same hallucination together, which is crazy psychedelic weird. I just am trying to think. I mean, I don't know a ton about neurology, but if these toxins are infecting their nervous systems, is it like the toxin itself changes when it passes through someone, and then if someone else kind of intakes it, they might pick up some of those characteristics like annihilation yeah that's what I'm thinking is like I think like the nature of like the toxins and the way that it affects and then is in turn changed by the people that it's infecting does something to like the to like the environment around them the air so I don't know I think a lot of this can just be hand wavy and like move tv science um Well, the fact that Bellamy specifically mentioned it when I had brushed it off as like, like you said, the suggestion part of it Mm -hmm. um, makes me think this is going to come back later in a a big way. It made me think that too. Like I caught on it immediately. And I was also, like I said, when, when we were like running up the stairs and they were both screaming about it and there's like no bugs here, something's really off. I'm like, oh no, we're having like multiple people in the same trance. Like that's really bizarre so I hope that I hope we get more shared hallucinations later on um specifically with like Clark and other people because then we can really dig into some of their issues with it still being you know in their heads yeah agree. <laughs> but um I, I, could... I just I really love that they have to relearn all of their survival skills to survive here on this planet because even on uh even in season one when they landed the skills they needed to survive were pretty standard. Like, we knew what they needed. They were just facing off, you know, people. Um, and there were, like, a few irradiated animals that were in the first episode that, like, never really came back. You know, yeah. so they, like, well, that wasn't a big deal. I think it was also not a big deal for, like, two things. Is like, one, we are familiar with Earth. Yeah, that's what we I'm know, saying. We know what it takes to survive. But also, they've been trained. Like, they've had Earth skills. There's no sanctum skills class being taught. They don't know what to expect. And so not only are they learning how to survive on this planet, but we are learning the rules with them. I guess what I could have what I could have said was I thought when I was first watching season one that they would go a lot more into the ways that radiation had changed Earth, but it didn't really. It didn't really change it that no, much. No, they, they, the show went in a different direction. Yeah, which is fine. Which is fine. Um, but I just like that we're finally getting yeah. that aspect. Yeah, of I think it's something Jason's super fascinated with, um, but he just, the show 
we didn't get there yeah um in book one but now in book two we're like we're ready <laughs> when clark and bellamy get back to the schoolroom, they find that murphy has cut himself free from the tranks and is or from the um restraints and taken his gun they go in search of him and bellamy tries to get echo to open her door to give bellamy the tranks that she has but as he's doing this he starts to get angrier and angrier echo starts hearing voices inside her head and ends up using the trank on herself to keep herself from hurting anyone else Clark tries to calm Bellamy down, but he turns on her. Before he can do anything, though, Murphy shoots at them, and the two of them scatter. Uh, I loved this scene. This was kind of the the most in-depth look we'd gotten at Echo to this point. Um, I mean, first off, Echo's just... She's honestly so smart. When Bellamy was banging on the door, like, trying to get in, she was, like, immediately questioning, like, why? What's going on? What do you want? Like, she didn't... I don't think she, like, really suspected him, but there was, like, a subconscious part of her that was, like, I don't know if this is right, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, like, her, she, she was just so methodical and considerate with the way that she was, with all of the information that she had already collected based on what she knew in this eclipse environment, Mm -hmm. that she's just so calculating in, like, the best possible way, um... I thought she was so impressive. I the whole time I was like, she's gonna let him in. Why wouldn't she? Like, why wouldn't you let your your significant other? I mean, like, I was so concerned, and she just above and beyond proved that she was way more capable than I mean. I, I ever think could have been. I think she would have let him in at the end, but the um hallucination started taking over her too and that kind of sent her on a different path but yeah. at least she like really questioned she it up front she was so good mm-hmm. i love it it was great um we hear some of these voices in echo's head and i'm presuming they're from her past um but i think i wouldn't put my you know stake my claim on this really but i think it's Tazi Telly's and Bob Morley's voices were the two voices that we heard in her head. Okay. Um, which kind of makes sense to me in a weird way of like, you know, what your internal monologue would sound like. I think it's both you and then like also Bellamy, who is not only her boyfriend, but I think he's also her hero in many ways. Um, I think he's, she feels like he's saved her from a lot, saved her from herself, yeah. perhaps. Um, but I think it sounds like, the voices are about when she was in Asgeta and her, the queen was like brainwashing her to become a spy. Um, and it just, I, I was, I'm really excited to dig more into that aspect of her background and to kind of see the trauma that she went through that made her the person that she is today. Yeah. And especially the way that that still affects her. I mean, I think we spend so much time talking about all the baggage and trauma that all of our other faves are dealing with. And she seems so collected and, healthy (laughs) at this point in the show mentally that sometimes it's easy to forget that she's also been through an ungodly amount of trauma and she's just really really strong and deals with it in a totally different way than most of the other characters do I mean everyone handles their grief and their trauma differently but I think we just we get more POV of their internal struggle than we do with Echo and so I liked this like little peek behind the curtain that's like not everything is a hundred percent in working condition under the hood you know like there's some things that we can still fine-tune here she's human yeah I mean I I think that Echo the way that she works through things is she doesn't um she doesn't process them I think she's someone who doesn't like to live in the past so she lets go of a lot of that angst very quickly 
on a conscious level, but of course you can't just, you know, shove that stuff aside. Deep down, it will always be there waiting for you at the most inopportune of moments, like now. Um, and, and I think this is kind of the first person, aside from Amori, that we see succumb to this this uh, hallucination really, really heavily. And with Echo, I think it's just everything that she's done in her past, her wondering, like, now that I'm thinking about it, can I really find forgiveness for this or am I always just going to be as Amori kind of put it um like my master's dog you know yeah yeah well I think it's and this is kind of what I was getting at before is like I think it's really interesting how everybody's hallucinations or psychosis like manifest in different ways Mm -hmm. um and it's like all rooted in their trauma so like sometimes you see it manifesting in these really really individual ways like we see it with Clark and with Bellamy but in like certain pairings, like with Jasper and Miller, they're obviously linked and connected mm-hmm. and sharing the same psycho- psychotic trance. But here with Amori and Echo, we have this like sort of forward and backward like interplay where Echo is experiencing hallucination. She's like hearing voices in her head. And Amori is not having the same hallucination, but is aggressive toward Echo, mm-hmm. knowing like that she is not in control but the anger and aggression in Amori is also being caused by these toxins so um they're while they're not sharing the same hallucination they are sharing the same experience like the same moment um but one of them is experiencing a hallucination and Amori is just lashing out so I think it's really interesting how some people go into these like deeper trances and other people it's like more superficial and just like raw emotion um, and I feel like we're going to get into this a lot more later. But I just thought it was really interesting watching these two characters interplay in this way. What was interesting is Amori really knew what to hit at in Echo that would make an impression. And I'm trying to remember now, was it Amori calling her like her master's good little spy or whatever first and then Echo having these hallucinations? Or was Echo already starting to have these hallucinations when Amori called that out because that could be like another shared That's what I'm saying. I, I I, but I don't remember. The voices started first, if I'm remembering correctly. Okay. If it didn't, because I actually remembered it the other way. Okay. Well, we'll have to go back and check. Either way, it's just, it's really interesting to me that There's Amori like- understands Echo's um, insecurities on that level because Echo, again always on the surface seems very unfazed yeah that's kind of I guess like the better way I could concisely say this is there's a lot of transference happening here Mm -hmm. whether it's psychotically or emotionally I don't know how to qualify it yet but there is something transferring between the two of them that's shared and they're affecting one another in more than just two people but going crazy in a room well, it was great. I mean, it was, sorry, Echo. It looked like a rough time, but I am really excited to get this look into you. And fingers crossed that this kind of situation, what she was thinking about, will come into play um, when we get Echo's backstory later on this season. Specifically, someone kept repeating, bring me their head. Yeah. Like over and over. And I couldn't tell this was just kind of her thinking about like all the people that she's had to kill or if this was like a specific moment that is like a cornerstone in her life that she always thinks back on as like a bad moment or a good moment or whatever yeah um so I don't know it would be cool to see that kind of brought back later on this season yeah um I did love you guys know I've said it many many times on the show that my favorite episode is Nevermore which is in season three 
funnily enough, it's my least favorite season. <laughs> but um, that is a standalone par excellence <laughs> episode. Um, but I I love Nevermore because it's when Raven is possessed by Allie and, and Allie through Raven is calling out all of these people in the room and like really digging into their deepest insecurities. And she, Raven slash Allie specifically calls Bellamy the good little knight mm-hmm. in reference to um, his relationship with Clark. And then Amori here calls uh, Echo the good little spy in reference to her relationship with um, Bellamy. Yeah. So it's like, I like that Bellamy, number one, has kind of switched roles here. But I also like that we're getting that parallel between the kinds of people that both Bellamy and Echo are in certain parts of their development. Yeah. Um, I think that Bellamy has kind of transcended that, but Echo is still there. And will she transcend it? Does she need to transcend it? That's really the question. Yeah, it's there's such a good question, and I love that. It's so fascinating. Um, also, quickly, because I feel like we've been talking about this a lot already, so we don't really <laughs> need to get into it too much, but I did want to call out Bellamy's jab when he yells at Clark. Um, he says to her, I don't need you anymore. And there is this emphasis on the anymore part where he really means like I have learned to live without you and I have moved on without you. And it hurts so bad. Um, It's it's the truth, but it's also not true at all. Um, And I'm just wondering, I mean, we know that this is the the psychosis talking, um, but how much of this do we think he actually means? Well, the way that I read this, and I'm reading this again in terms of thinking about people's insecurities and how they'll manifest into like anger um, or fear. And in this specifically, I almost wonder if Bellamy's deepest insecurity has always been how much he needs Clark to do the things that he does and mm-hmm. like how much he depends on her. And I think you you think back to uh, season four when um, Jaha was talking to Bellamy about Clark and how Clark needs Bellamy and Bellamy's like, no, no, it's the other way around. Like she keeps me centered. Um, I think that could have been a, an insecurity that he never really realized in himself until she was gone and then she came back and turned against him and he's still kind of working out the fact that like I think deep down he still does feel like he needs her but he doesn't want to feel that way because of the way that their dynamic has changed so yeah and then she like she betrayed, she betrayed, betrayed him, him. Yeah. yeah yeah I think it's super fascinating I thought that was very very oh yeah I cutting. mean it was devastating <laughs> Bellamy was definitely out for blood yeah. <laughs> in his psychosis. Um, he's really scary. He Bob Morley, really scary. When he like has that deep voice and he's yelling and he just looks so like violent and aggressive. It's just yeah. it like he's like a you know he's like he's a muscular dude. Yeah. Um, and when he like pairs it with that like deep gravelly voice, it's a lot. Yeah. Um, and then just one last note here. I love this moment when Murphy starts shooting at them, and we're meant to think that it's because Murphy's also like undergoing the psychosis and is trying to kill them before they kill him, whatever. But when we realize that he is not affected at all, it's in this moment that he's trying to protect Clark and Bellamy from themselves when Bellamy starts getting really aggressive toward her. Yeah. And I love that revelation. It's fantastic. I It's one of those things where like, if you guys haven't watched this episode again, watch it again. You should watch it a second time. There are so many clues that Murphy's sanity remains throughout the entire thing. Um, it's such good work. Especially because when we were first watching this, you were like, damn, Murphy's a really bad shot. Um, because these bullets were just like going Flying. everywhere. Um, and I think that could be, I don't know how much 
you know, he really has experience with, like, aiming. And also he's, like, going crazy in this moment. Yeah, so, so like, it could have been that, but, like, also really turns out to be the fact that he's not aiming for them. He just wants them to, he like, scatter. He actually has great aim. Yeah. <laughs> in the mess hall, Octavia, or Abby takes Octavia a bowl of algae. Abby wants to warn her that these people in the room are all still holding grudges against Blood Reina, and Octavia knows they blame her for their sins, even though cannibalism was Abby's idea. Abby says the difference is that she regrets it, while Octavia only regrets having lost. Octavia only believes she lost because Kane and Abby turned on one crew, and if they hadn't, Octavia wouldn't, or Octavia would have gotten them safely into the valley, and all of her actions would make sense. Then she screams at Abby to leave her. So I think we get out of this little exchange here that Octavia from last season was really counting on the absolution that she would feel if she delivered her people to the promised land, uh, as it were. Um, and, and then the fact that she's lost that chance has made her really bitter because now she kind of has nowhere to put her sins except on herself. And so she keeps trying to like throw them at other people instead of deal with the fact that she also deeply regrets the things that she's done. Yeah, I think it's true. I mean, like she blames Kane mostly, um, but she really blames herself. Yeah. And she doesn't know how to deal with it and like you were saying she just had put all of her eggs in this basket and the basket broke and the eggs are on the floor (laughs) Kane and Abby but really Kane they're her punching bags yeah um they just make it so easy yeah (laughs) they do I mean they're they're easy targets especially Um, Kane he's asleep he's a really easy target well he was he was last episode just really he just gets riled up really easily I do think it's super interesting that like I was saying before, she's still clinging to her old sense of power. And I love that when Abby approaches her, she assumes it's that because Abby has come to ask her for help to get them out of the mess. Mm-hmm. Like she just assumes that she's the one that everybody will look to to lead them out of this. And it's this like complete suspension of reality and a disconnect from what's yeah. happening around her and like everything that's falling apart. And I love the fact that she says, you know, like nothing makes sense because she she's not facing this um, in any way. And it's it was a great little character bit. Yeah, I did want to note that I didn't love Abby saying that she regrets the, the whole cannibalism thing, because I don't feel like regret is the right word to use here. Just because when you regret something, that kind of means that you would do it differently. But there was no other thing that they could have done that I can think of no I agree I don't think it's the right word but I don't think she means I agree with you I don't think she meant to regret in the sense that she could have done anything differently I think she regrets that it had to come to that yeah in a way that like Octavia doesn't regret it because it led her to her power and everything that she believes she had to do to save her people well I think here's where Abby really doesn't understand Octavia's psyche which is fair because girl's a hot mess but who does Octavia does so deeply regret it and she I think genuinely hates what she's become oh I agree but yeah she can't like because she can't work through these things she just like keeps throwing it out there and becoming more and more into what this this creature the the blood drain a creature was made out to be by everyone she like keeps trying to play into that instead of actually dealing with her own issues it's (laughs) not pretty it's not pretty um but it was a nice little scene i liked it yeah it was good the quiet before the storm (laughs) raven and dioza are hiding out in shaw's stateroom dioza says she likes raven and shaw as a couple because they're both soft 
Um, so that was a little rough, just us knowing that Shaw's dead and Raven not knowing that. <laughs> um, but continuing, Raven wants Dioza to help her retake the bridge since Dioza has done it before, but Dioza notes that they can't do it the same way this time. She calls the invaders on the radio and pretends to be holding hostages, but it doesn't work. The woman on the other end tells them to release their hostages or they'll vent the mess hall. Since the woman doesn't know that the hostages are already dead, Dioza tells Raven to put on one of their suits and pose as an invader. Dio's is just such a freaking badass. I I love how unapologetically tough she is. Tough and like not a good person. Like she's not like concerned with morality. It seems on really any level. <laughs> yeah, no, but she can't afford to be. So yeah, I mean well, that's I mean, fine. And we, she's made her peace with it. <laughs> we need that character. Sometimes. We do. We although, need her. Although I will say, perhaps we needed her more in book one than we will in book two. Maybe she'll have to grow a lot as well. I was going to say, but I'm really excited to see her learn how to be human again. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of... To find her humanity again? Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> I just did it. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, again, I do really love that Raven... Uh, that Dioza calls Raven soft. Just... And, and Shaw soft, too. I think that kind of plays into what we talked about last episode with Shaw and then what we've talked about many episodes with Raven is just they're soft they aren't able to make these specific decisions and I wouldn't even call that a character flaw no. I think sometimes it can be a boon um but also that means sometimes that they're gonna have to hand off the hard choices to other people because they can't make them themselves yeah um so it was yeah. just a really insightful comment that Dioza kind of like nabbed exactly what we'd been talking about with Raven but like hadn't said it as succinctly you yeah know? yeah and also that it's like in universe stated now yeah which is nice yeah and I, I wonder now that it's been stated if that is going to be um something that Raven grapples with this season maybe she really will be grappling with the fact that she bears some responsibility for the things that have happened yeah maybe hope so um I love that they decided to wake Maddie up because she could fit through the vents I I did not see that coming in this scene I don't know why I didn't did I didn't you? either oh okay I had no I, they were like unless you can become the size of a child and I was like yeah too bad we don't have one of those and then like like cut to later and it's like Maddie and I was like oh my god Maddie well you see I feel like I was really dense because Maddie like popped through the vents and I was like who woke Maddie up where did she come from and you're like remember like they just small child and I was like oh right totally just like yeah but it didn't occur to me until she showed up but then I connected the dots. That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. I didn't at, least I, at least I did that. <laughs> you <laughs> connected several things this episode faster than I did, I think. What was the one that we well, were... We'll, we'll talk about oh, yeah. it. We'll oh, get yeah. there. <laughs> <laughs> really proud of myself, guys. <laughs> um, but really, Raven and Dio... Oh, yeah. I just remember what it is. Yeah. We'll get there. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I forgot. <laughs> Britt very rarely feels this feeling of putting the pieces together first. So no, I'm always lost. She was very proud of herself. <laughs> um, but... But anyway, getting back to the scene, I, I love how um, diametrically opposed Raven and Dioza are as people. I, I Trying to think of two characters that are more different from them, I, I, I really can't. No, they're really, really different people. Just like how we can compare Clark and um, Dioza and Clark and Echo and Echo and Dioza. I think those are three very similar kinds of people. Mm -hmm. Raven is like the exact opposite kind. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and not, again, not in a, and bad, not in a way. bad way. No. Just different. So they, they just really work well in scenes together. And I hope that we get to see a little bit more of them. Yeah. They're very complimentary. Yeah. 
Uh, tired of doing nothing in the mess hall, Octavia starts banging on the door. When that doesn't make her feel better, she turns on the people in the room, screaming that she gave them something to believe in, and now they're all cowards. One of them punches Octavia, and when she keeps goading them, a bunch of them attack her. Nyla screams at, o at Abby to stop this because they're giving Octavia exactly what she wants, and finally Abby tells them to leave Octavia alone with what she's become. They back off, and Octavia falls to her knees and sobs, begging them to kill her. Okay. This is such a great cathartic scene for me watching for Octavia. Us. For us. I mean, like, I love seeing this moment where Octavia's true feelings about herself really come out. Like, she doesn't feel like she has anything left to live for. Yep. She's failed in what she had set out to do her purpose, which was to deliver her people to this promised land and then absolve herself of her sins. She can't do that now. So she would rather die than like live with the things that she's done and deal with the things that she's done. And and she's also, she'd rather die between, uh, rather than being abandoned by everyone she once cared about. Yeah. Um, especially and, Bellamy. And abandoned by the people that she was responsible for. Yeah. Um, I think this is honestly one of the best scenes they've ever done on the hundred. It, it was for Octavia's character, especially, especially, I mean like this is, I don't know how long, honestly, how long we've been begging for this to happen. And again, I'm not sure we've hit rock bottom That's yet. True. I mean, we, I think back to um, season four when she had that moment in uh, the cave with Ilian, Ilian where yeah. she like wanted to walk out and kill herself and he like brought her back and they had sex and that was, you know, whatever that was. Um, and then she decided to like let go of the knives and like go yeah. off with Ilian and we thought, oh, like this is the turning point in her character. Yeah. I mean, it's always been like one step forward, two yeah. steps back. We keep um, thinking it. So I am very hesitant to be like, we've arrived. But this one really feels like I mean like I don't know if this is rock bottom but this feels like we're starting to get yeah into the nitty-gritty and there you know there's a couple of clues here that make me more optimistic about this moment versus moments that have come before that mm -hmm. have been similar to this one of them is that like for all of Octavia's faults she's always been really careful about who she attacks and I feel like there have been people who have been off limits to her throughout all of it Monty being one of them mm -hmm. and the fact that she goes after Monty who is now deceased and unable to defend himself and nope. their savior <laughs> knowing that his son is standing there um you know she is picking a fight with the purest person in the room in order to become like the target yeah. you know like she's do, do it this is a very um calculated move on her part even though i don't think she's like fully aware of what she's doing i think if the people don't love her she wants to make them hate, hate her, her as much as possible exactly and then the other piece of this is like obviously this entire scene is a cry for help right like she is literal cry for help metaphorically <laughs> begging them to kill her she is lashing out acting out becoming crazy and then finally reaches this desperation once she realizes that they're not going to give in to her wishes they're not going to kill her um and it's only until she reaches that point of desperation that she finally vocalizes it out loud like she uses her words and she starts to beg and she is not a character who ever uses words. Mm -mm. She only uses her her body and her actions. So the fact that we got language out of her is like a big, it feels significant to me in some way. Again, I don't know if we've hit rock bottom yet, but it feels like a beginning. Yeah. A beginning of her starting so, to deal yeah, with it. So yeah, this feels like growth to me and I am really excited about what this means for the rest of the season. I guess I, I wouldn't necessarily say growth yet, but I would definitely say this feels like insight. Like everyone around Octavia is getting insight 
into who she really is underneath the like metaphorical armor she's been wearing well yeah but I mean specifically growth for her like learn like it's like what you teach a toddler use your words (laughs) you know she is emotionally stunted she has to get to a place where she can communicate with herself and with others what she needs and what she wants and she has not been able to vocalize that yet and I think that's a really big step (laughs) even if she's asking them to kill her (laughs) um it's a big step (laughs) um but it was such a great scene and my question really is does Abby truly believe that Octavia believes what she's saying when Octavia's like goading them all and calling them all cowards because it seems like, you know, thinking back to what Abby said to her in the previous scene, Abby was like, I regret the things I've done, but you only regret losing, you know, your your seat of power. She can't truly think that is, you know, accurate, right? Because, like, Octavia is clearly a hot mess. She has no idea what she's doing, what she wants, and she's not making it subtle. I mean, know? I have two responses to this, and they're, they kind of contradict each other, so bear with me okay the first is that I think on some level Abby knows that she's not talking to Octavia Octavia she's mm-hmm. talking to Bloodrina. so like when she says things to her like you only wanted this for power I don't think she believes that Octavia baby Octavia wanted that but I do think she is making a distinction that she's like that Oct- that blood Reina wanted that yeah um uh, however so that's like my most generous interpretation of this I also think and these two things are not mutually exclusive, but they are a little contradictory. Abby's not the most intuitive human being. Yeah. Um, and she also is always very self-absorbed in that whatever emotional state she is in, she projects it onto other people. So that if she is feeling angry or defensive, she naturally just assumes that's how the other person across the table from her is feeling. She has no ability to... Um, translate another person's emotional state versus her own um and she gets worse at it throughout the series I think the the more grief and trauma she experiences the less emotionally fluent she becomes because she has to numb herself to a lot of her emotions because she just can't deal which we've talked about a lot um so I think it makes her particularly unhelpful um and like maybe like the least useful person to have when dealing with Octavia because she just doesn't have the capacity for it I totally agree that was my thoughts as well just Abby being brilliant and being a very decisive person but not being very emotionally intelligent all the time it's really Um, it's and again and I was just gonna say it's not a character flaw it's no, just... I, I well, I think, and especially where Octavia slash Bloodrena is concerned, I think um, Abby has a lot of just trauma from their days in yeah, the bunker, she's, she... and from the guilt that she's felt by making Octavia kind of into this person, or at least playing a role into making Octavia into Bloodrena. Yeah, um, I mean, like you can't, your therapist cannot be the person who like got you where you are. Like you need have to have some object objectivity here, and she is totally biased. Yeah. So. Um, just a little note, I wanted to kind of do a callback. James, one of the engineering guys in this scene, um, has Octavia at knife point by the throat at some point, and he says, the queen is dead. And it's immediately called back to me that moment back in season one when um, Bellamy had, like, was about to be hung by Murphy toward the end of the season, and, and Murphy was saying, like, the king is about to be dead, or the king is dead. Um, and I just love that you know, both of these siblings have 
had this point in their lives where the people who have followed them without question have turned against them because of their own actions against them. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's so true. Mm -hmm. Tyrants, man. (laughs) What are you going to do? Yep. Those Blake siblings. I got a lot of, a lot of issues. Oh my God. (laughs) Dioza. MB. Like, please, (laughs) therapist, come down here. Uh, we'll see. We'll see how the season progresses. <laughs> this is like really tough loving, you know? <laughs> I love it. Clark is rummaging through her supplies for the gas cans when she hears Abby over the radio. Clark tries to tell Abby about the toxin, but Abby says Clark is the toxin and tries to convince her to kill herself. Murphy, surprisingly not affected by the toxin, comes into the room to find Clark with a knife to her throat. He tells her that she's talking to a radio without the power on and convinces her, convinces her to put the knife down and help him save Bellamy before he kills them both. Um, this scene breaks my heart. It is so fascinating to see how everyone else kind of turns outward with their insecurities and their anger and their fear, but Clark and Echo both turn inward. And I think that speaks a lot to the kinds of characters that they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and Clark, especially the way that she turns inward is about like removing herself from the equation, like cutting out the cancer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think it's super, super interesting that in like the darkest parts of her mind, like she really views herself as like a virus. Yeah. As a cancer, um, which is so, so sad. It's heartbreaking. Cause like, I just, I love her and I want her to, I want her to love her as much as I do. <laughs> well, I think that hopefully is what this season slash the next couple of seasons will be about is just Clark coming to love herself again. Yeah. Yeah. You need self-love, guys. Self-care yeah. is important. It is important. Um, The moment when Abby specifically tells Clark, like, like, I would kill myself for you. Do you even love Maddie? And the way that Clark says, I do, is it's honestly like the saddest thing I've ever heard Clark yeah. say. Like, she has so much love in her heart and she's like trying to like say like say like she really does love Maddie but in her mind she keeps thinking like maybe Maddie will be better off without me and all of that comes out in those like I do words yeah, and it's it just two syllables ugh. Eliza Taylor killing it it was devastating if you haven't if you don't remember this go back and just listen to those two words again because it, it'll break your heart yeah it's <laughs> tragic um we had another call back here to Nevermore as well again when I think of uh Raven slash Allie telling Clark that she gets everyone she loves killed Mm -hmm. um Abby tells her this exact same thing here in this conversation and it just again shows that this is an issue that Clark has not dealt with um and has not come to terms with just her being an impetus or the cause for a lot of death of the people that she's loved you know it's not her fault but she played a role yeah um and and she I think will have to really grapple with that this season if she wants to kind of come out the other end loving herself more than she does right now I also think it's super interesting that her opponents whether it's a toxic plant or (laughs) Allie recognize this in her and use it against herself like as her using her own insecurities against her yeah well I mean I guess that's the question that we'll have to you know answer later on this season is it is this like toxin or the plants some sort of sentience that can read this stuff and bring this out or is this really just like poking you in all the right places blindly and then you are like manifesting these yeah. issues yourself I don't know we'll have to find out I I didn't think that the plants were sentient but maybe they are I mean 
I, I anything sentient. The plants, evil the plants, air, the evil swirly, swirly do. Who knows? <laughs> something, something out there. Um, it is really such a great bit too, where we've heard this like good guy, bad guy so many times. Like yeah. that line just keeps playing over and over in different ways. But this was a, an interesting way here where Abby tells Clark that, you know, I told you once that there were no good guys, but I was wrong. There are, you're just not one of them. It, it hit hard. Yeah, that was a really <laughs> tough line. It was brilliant though. I love the way they twisted it. Especially because I think deep down that's exactly what Clark thinks. That's exactly what she thinks. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's that's the episode. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I love I love this scene so much. Um, I I really I really think it's so important to note that even though Murphy is a little shit, which he is, <laughs> um, you know he's actually a really emotionally intuitive person. You know it takes someone to know one. Mm-hmm. You know you can't hurt someone if you don't know where they're if you can't recognize their weak spots, and he is probably the best person to find Clark in this altered state. Um. I think he instantly recognizes that unlike everyone else, Clark is only a threat to herself. And I think he's the only person who can talk her off the ledge. Um, It helps that he's not crazy (laughs) in this moment. But I also think if I had to pick a character to talk her out of this, if Bellamy is off the table, it would be Murphy. I mean, just the way Murphy speaks to her here, especially compared to um, the earlier scene when they'd been fighting, He's so sincere here, even though he's being like, if you don't straighten up, I'm going to shoot you in the leg. Yeah. Like, he truly is afraid for a moment that Clark is going to hurt herself. And I mean, she do- he doesn't want that. I think this is proof more than anything else. Like, we were talking at the beginning. I mean, he loves her so much. Not that that was ever really in question, but I think it's important for him to remind himself of that mm-hmm. once in a while. Like, look what happens. Like, you're, you're great. It's She could hurt herself, you know? It's possible. Well, and I also think that going forward, seeing that this is how she's affected by the toxins is her turning against herself. Yeah. Might make a bit more of an impression with Murphy, just given that, like, now he gets really concrete evidence that she so deeply regrets the things she's done and she kind of hates herself. Yeah. And and, and she she just is so guilty, you know? Yeah. In a way that I don't think he really believed her before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So I, I guess the question is, like, why is Murphy not affected when everyone else is? I don't know. I mean, like, you speculated that maybe the bug inoculated him. Yeah, I, I could not figure it out um, the <laughs> Sarah first Sarah came time. into my room. or No, you no, shouted. I like, no, no. I was in the middle of blow drying my hair, and then I turned off my blow dryer, and I was just like, Britt, what if Murphy's not, you know, going crazy because he was bitten by the bug? And you're like, that's interesting. And then I just turned the hair dryer back on. <laughs> Life inside the McCabe Perlman household. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's, cl- I think that's as good of sound a reason as anything I can come up with. I was just trying to think of what had happened to Murphy that no one else did, and that, like the first time I watched it, I had no idea, and then the second time I watched it, yeah, and then later was thinking about it. That's when it like. I personally think it's because he's already such a little shit and angry all the time (laughs) that it doesn't affect him the way that it affects other people. But that's just me. Well, that's another interpretation. (laughs) Um, Also, side note, I would like to share with you all. (laughs) At first, when I listened to this episode, I thought 
that Murphy was saying to Clark, I would shoot you like in the leg, but Bellamy wouldn't hear of it. <laughs> like I thought he was saying like Bellamy would get mad He'd at me if angry. I shoot you. <laughs> but what he actually was saying was Bellamy would hear it because obviously they're hiding from him. So like, duh. But that's where I am. It was funnier the other way. <laughs> I like it my way. On the mothership, Raven is in the invader suit and she goes into the bridge. Dioza with a gun at her back. The leader of the invaders realizes that Raven is an imposter and puts Dioza and Raven at gunpoint. Suddenly, Maddie drops in through the vents and kills the woman. The other invader screams and cries over her dying friend. And Maddie has a lot of questions, but her first one is what happened to Clark. So she has questions. Is she talking to Becca? So here's the moment where Britt totally figured out something that just went right over my head. Um, When Maddie comes in and she says, I have questions, and Dioza's like, we don't have time for that or whatever. And then Maddie's like, I wasn't talking to you. Yeah. What I thought was happening in that moment was Maddie just being like a little, you know, holding a grudge still against yeah, Dioza being a for shit. what, you know, Dioza, no, I mean, not being a shit. Dioza had it coming. <laughs> I, I, I didn't see Maddie wanting to like take orders or really talk to Dioza at all. But then you were like, no, no, she's like asking questions to someone inside her head. And I was like, oh my yeah, gosh, it's, you're she's right. Got all the commanders at her disposal and Becca. I'm so excited. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I almost ran out of power there. I'm like at 1%. Oh, my <laughs> it's God. Like, that would have been really bad. I can hear the alarm bells going off. I saw your face like, <laughs> like go oh. white, and I was like, uh-oh, what's happening? <laughs> um, yeah, I just am so – I feel like this is proof that we're going to get a Becca flashback. It, and it has to be Becca, too. I don't think it could be any other commander. I don't think any other commander would make an impact with us unless it was Lexa, which – I don't I think don't, it's going to it be Lexa. I, it's never going to happen, guys. Plus, I think I think Becca being Promheta is going to be kind of the one to lead all of the commanders, but especially Maddie, I think. I think Maddie and Becca will have, like, a real connection. Yeah, and I think Becca was there at the beginning and, under, and knows a lot of information about this Allegis crew. Yeah. So, and since we're going to have that super scary other commander who's definitely Cadigan later on, I just, I think seeing Becca and Cadigan playing, like, the angel and the demon is going to be so great. <laughs> I'm never letting it go. I will talk about this every season you until would... number one, the show ends, or number two, it happens. <laughs> you guys can't see my face, but I am at my end's rope. <laughs> my rope's end. But I was just really excited to see Maddie wake because I wasn't sure when that was going to happen or the circumstances it would happen under. Um, but this makes a lot of sense in the same way that, like, Dioza waking up and Octavia waking up, you know, odd choices to wake up early, but like in the way that it happened makes, makes a sense. lot of sense within the story. I, I just, I liked seeing Maddie come up, up here. Yeah, I thought the way that they woke all three of those characters up were super creative and super in line with the plot. So mm-hmm. kudos to all of you. And I also just got to say, seeing Maddie so worried about Clark and that was like the first thing on her mind. It was really sweet. Yeah. I love it. I love how much she loves her. I love how much they love each other. They were all each other had. It's, it's, it's a lot. <laughs> it's so sad. <laughs> uh, Murphy finds Bellamy, who's in full-on rage mode. He tries to talk Bellamy down, and when he gets close enough, he jumps on Bellamy and screams at Clark to help him. Clark, meanwhile, is still dealing with Abby in her brain, telling her to kill herself, and doesn't realize what's happening. Bellamy and Murphy fight, and Bellamy starts to drown Murphy. Finally, Clark is able to break out of her trance and go after Bellamy when she sees what he's doing to Murphy. She pulls him out of the water, but Bellamy then knocks her down and strangles her. Luckily, Clark is able to pull the tab on the gas canister, immediately knocking all three of them out. Okay, first of all, I have two things. Mm -hmm. One, 
I love that so far it seems like Clark is the only person strong enough to pull herself out of this trance. Like at least to a degree that she is like functional and aware of herself. Mm-hmm. I I don't I feel like that speaks for itself and what kind of what kind of strength re- reservoirs of strength she has, what you know, what kind of person she is and then you know, there's just like what her She's just a hero, you guys. She's amazing. <laughs> um and then two I love that it was Bellamy's actions and the how and like Bellamy acting so out of character um, that were what that was like the instigating factor in getting her back to consciousness. Um, Do we think this is a coincidence? I do not. (laughs) I mean, I, I definitely think that she going into the situation really wanted to save Bellamy even though she wasn't 100% herself but I really think the instigating you know factor for her being able to break out of it was seeing Bellamy hurting Murphy and not just her caring about Murphy so much and wanting to save him but also caring about Bellamy and knowing what it would do to him to like have done this to Murphy yeah um so it was really just like this like big love fest love between fest. the three of them <laughs> even though it doesn't look like it on screen <laughs> it's a love fest guys this is how this is their love language <laughs> but I mean just going back to Clark being the only one strong enough to pull herself out of the trance I think it's more of because um the way that Clark's trauma and and insecurities were manifesting um, very much about like taking her out of the equation it's her ability or her drive to again bear it so they don't have to that allows her to pull herself out of this it's like that very specific situation where she's like I have to help them no matter what this means for me and my safety and Mm -hmm. my um you know, emotional journey. I think that's why she's really able to pull herself out of it. Not because she's stronger necessarily, but just because of the situation that's happening here. And then also the situation that's happening in her head. (laughs) Yeah, no. And by strength, I don't mean just like fortitude. I mean like strength of character. She's, you know, it's, it's altruistic to a beautiful degree. Yeah. Um, <laughs> when Murphy goes up to Bellamy and he starts out by saying, you and me, just a couple of guys stuck on a moon and nobody else on it. <laughs> I thought that line was going in a very different direction for a second. It just like the way that he was saying it and the way that like he just like kept going like, oh, just you and me alone <laughs> together. I was like, where, where are you going this Murphy? <laughs> I, I just I love how much Murphy loves Bellamy. He loves him so much. Oh, my God. They love each other so much. Bellamy and Murphy have been through so much together and and Murphy has been saved by Bellamy on like so many levels. Yeah. Bellamy he's just like, is a he's a good guy and and people love him for it oh my god I just love how much Murphy loves him um which makes it even more painful when Bellamy called Murphy the court jester that wasn't the most painful thing to me honestly no it wasn't the most painful but it hurt bad <laughs> it hurt pretty bad it, it didn't actually it didn't really hurt me because I don't think that hurts Murphy I think Murphy is he uses his humor for a reason and he's not ashamed of it. I don't think he's ashamed of it, but I think there's a uselessness in the idea of the court jester. Sure. Um, well, I mean, that's that kind of... That's really an insecurity issue for Murphy. I think and it plays literally into what they say next, but she's like, it beats being useless and Bellamy's like, not by much. So, I mean, that's definitely obviously still an yeah. insecurity of Murphy's. Which is why it hurt really bad. Because I think Bellamy was like the one person on the ship who like never gave up on Murphy and never you know never 
expressed any kind of, I mean, maybe disappointment, but he never shunned away from him when he was feeling like he was not contributing. Um, um, I mean... Or never punished him in that way. I think, at least outwardly, it seemed like Amori's comments affected um, Murphy a lot more just because, first off, he, he wasn't sure where it was coming from. Yeah. Um, but I think that he's able to, to recognize Bellamy that Bellamy at this point is saying what Bellamy knows will hurt him the most and not what he really believes. Yeah. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't, I, I, don't I, I just didn't feel Murphy felt very hurt by this in the same way that he'd been hurt earlier this episode. That's fair. I don't think it was as bad, but it was something to, to call out for me. Um, and it was, it was really scary to see Bellamy drowning Murphy. Like, even though, again, we knew it wasn't like yeah. Bellamy. It was it's just, really scary. He's, he's so like, Bellamy Bob Morley is amazing. He's such a great actor. I mean, He's got such range. The physicality in the scene yeah. and the way how close they got up, the shots, you know, and like the force, the upper body force of it was it was a lot. Yeah. Um, it is interesting to me that Bellamy was screaming at Clark that, you know, this time Clark would be the one to die just because thinking back to everything that's happened between Clark and Bellamy, um, it doesn't I mean I guess I know Clark left and died in the fighting pits last season and there was that other moment in season four when she held him at gunpoint but other than that that was all <laughs> well I just mean like other than that Clark has been in life-threatening danger so many times for them and she saved him a lot of times and and he just came off of thinking she was dead for six years I don't know it felt like an odd choice of words there like yeah. just for the writers not necessarily for Bellamy yeah I like, guess like if they were going to pick on something I, I I don't know if that's the wording that I would have used for them to like dig deep into the the tension and trauma between Bellamy and Clark yeah I think I think that's fair that makes sense to me I didn't but I didn't um stumble on that but I get where you're coming from yeah um so yeah I think it's clear from this that Bellamy's uh toxic manifestation may have some latent aggression towards Clark that maybe he's not consciously dealing with and I uh, would recommend some counseling yes again everyone <laughs> we're just like handing out like counseling passes to every character like every condoms. episode here protect yourself <laughs> um but it was really really good after the last couple of episodes to see Clark and Murphy fighting on the same team and like teaming up it just again gives me a taste of what I'm most excited for this season which is really those two characters yeah it was great it was super fun it was scary but it was fun yeah the dropship lands and Sky Crew prepares to go find Clark and her friends they've taken the last invader hostage the woman doesn't want to leave her family's bodies but Sky Crew isn't giving her a choice it turns out Octavia is stowed away on the dropship because she wants to find her brother. No one wants Octavia to come, but she's the only tracker they have. Maddie also wants to come, but Maddie makes her, or but Abby makes her and Dioza stay with the ship. Uh, so first off, before getting into anything here, Jordan sees a planet for the first time. I know he's on solid ground. He just looks like the like the pure awe on his face. I know he's, he's so puppy. sweet. He really is. I love it. Um, also, Octavia, quote unquote, save going to save her brother eye roll I just I can't I'm so over this I I actually liked this I'm so glad you um, liked it I did because I think this really didn't I mean like thinking about the last two seasons um of Octavia Clark or sorry of Octavia Bellamy um drama yeah I like here that even though Octavia can't deal with her own issues 
she's at least coming back around to the idea that she wants Bellamy as a brother and she wants him back on her side because I think in her mind, not just because he's her brother, but also because if Bellamy still loves her, that means there's something left of her to save and she needs to feel that from someone. I think that's an excellent interpretation. I think you're completely right. This line still bothers me. (laughs) To be fair, I mean, he kind of needs saving. He really doesn't. Yeah, and if someone's gonna save him, I don't think Octavia is the one. Um, Octavia. Speaking of my other quibble about this, she's the only tracker they have. They <laughs> wouldn't have been able to find them as easily without Octavia, which makes me question: What were they going to do? Were they just gonna like stumble around the planet until Again, they like ran into someone? These are the same people who step off of the dropship <laughs> with, with no suits, no suits, <laughs> no no testing materials. <laughs> Just luck. Just make the plunge. Um, I I love that poor Maddie. She wants to come so much. And I'm honestly like a little frustrated on her behalf because like it's her mom that's in danger. Yeah. Girl needs to like go after her too. I, I feel I feel you, Maddie, even I, though you're a kid. Yeah, I understand Maddie, where Maddie's coming from. But I'm 100% on the team. Maddie, you stay behind and stay safe. Because oh, we're adults. Yeah, I But know. I'm just saying like, I, I really understand Maddie's annoyance. And I love her line. She woke up Gaia, by the way. Gaia's here. Yay. Love Gaia. Love Gaia. Um, I love her line to Gaia like, oh, so glad I woke you up when Gaia's like, yes, let's like go back onto the ship. Can continue our training. <laughs> Oh, joy. Joy of joys. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of Gaia, looks amazing. I mean, she hasn't changed from last season. But no, she's just, um, they changed her eye makeup a little bit. She's got like more of a cat eye going yeah. on. It's very Sabrina glammy. Well, we're fresh off of watching the chilling adventures of Sabrina yeah. and Prudence, uh, who is, um, what's Played. this actress's name? Um, yes. The actress who plays Gaia, whose name I do not know right no, now. No, I do. I know it. I do know it. it but it's I- coming. Well, anyway, she plays Prudence and Sabrina, and, and that's easily Gabrielle our favorite. Tati. Yes, Gabrielle Tati. She's easily our favorite character in Sabrina, and so like it's just really excited to see her here in such a such a different role. Oh yeah, but yeah, yeah, she's she's great. And then I think most importantly, out yeah, of this, yeah, scene, we saved the most important thing for last. What is up with the bodies, guys? What is happening? I. Okay. Here's okay. So here's the deal. Let's <laughs> kind of like break, what's going on. Let's break this down. So when so there were four invaders. Three of them died. When the last one was dying, um, the one who was still left alive was like crying over her body, and the dying girl was like, "The bodies, you must." And then she was like, "I know, I'll take care of it." And then later here, when she like goes to leave the the dropship, she's like, "I can't leave my family's my my family here. They're not safe." Um, even though they're dead bodies. And so what I'm thinking, and I think we've like kind of theorized about this in general before, Mm. but I think that if bodies lay around too long without like either being burned or buried or however they dispose of their bodies, um, then the green swirly dew can find them and copy them and make evil versions of them. Oh, what? Oh, you just saw a light bulb go off in your head. Not really a light bulb, but just I wonder if this like green swirly dew energy that we think is sentient works with like the plant toxins in a way where like if you've been affected um, by the, you know, toxin and, and had these insecurities manifest in different ways, like that is what the... Uh, green swirly dude knows um what to take advantage of and like what to like poke at and poke at 
um, either in like them creating their own version of you that's like an evil version or like a dark version or so you it's think just they're like kind of working in tandem possibly like not even necessarily in like uh, the plants are sentient way but no, just yeah. like maybe the, like the green swirly do has like evolved, evolved to, to use this um, oh, I like now that. that the humans are on this planet I like that theory yeah I'm very concerned about the bodies not into body yeah. snatching at first, what we thought was if the bodies weren't properly, you know, disposed of or buried or whatever, um, that they wouldn't be able to be reincarnated. We were thinking that, like, maybe all of them are being reincarnated over and over yeah. again by the swirly do. But now I'm thinking it's much more of, like, you will become, like, an evil version of yourself. So you have to, like, you, you don't want that to yeah. happen to you or your family. And so this you'll... is also the thing where I was talking about earlier where it feels like these guys were in a hurry to get off planet yeah. and that's why they stole the dropship. That's a good call. call yeah. Um, and, str- and uh, flew up to the mothership because they were like, Oh my God, escape. Escape. <laughs> Just like escape. Um, well, yeah. Cause they, I guess don't know that earth is no more. And they, I, I mean, I think expediency over, over caution here. I think they needed to get off planet real quick. And I, mean, I, I, I don't, they, and it, felt to me like they were you know they're wearing these like spacesuits. I feel like they were ready for like a journey I don't know if they were planning on coming back I the kids when they should we'll get into that later I think I, I I think they were gonna come back I think that they were trying to secure the ship to like make room for a bunch of people that they would bring to mm-hmm. the ship to like leave this planet yeah maybe um but there's that line we get. I think Raven says it right at the end that the bodies will be here when we get back. And it's like will the biggest they? like flashing light omen. Like the bodies will not be yeah, here. Yeah, the bodies <laughs> will not be there when they get back. Yeah. So um, it's real weird, guys. And what, what really irritates me is if this is like a true fear this woman has. This woman has not been named yet that I know of. I don't know. Um, but if this is a true fear she has, maybe she should explain like, I mean, hey, there's a sentient green swirly do and I don't want it to make evil copies of my family. And they'd be like, oh, good to know. We'll help you, you know, dispose of these things as well. I mean, it's a TV show. <laughs> it has to be dramatic. Um, but let's finish this out here. So Octavia tracks Clark's group until they get to the radiation fence. Their hostage is able to pass through unharmed and lets the rest of the group pass. They find Shaw's grave on the other side. When they get to the town, Abby sees Clark, Bellamy, and Murphy all passed out. She wakes up Clark and Bellamy, but she can't wake up Murphy, whose veins are turning black. Suddenly, a group of kids run into town, and one of the kids asks Clark's group if they've come to take them home. And as Clark, and as Britt and I with her, both all say... Uh, isn't this your home? Yeah. Isn't this your home? Where do you come from? Uh, so kind of going through the step by step, it was very, very rough that Raven had to find out about Shaw's death like this. Like, this is not a great way to find out that someone you cared about died. No, it's awful. Um, I feel really bad for her. I do. I do. And like, we're not, we're not, and she's not giving a lot, given a lot of time to like marinate with that. No. um, And what that means. So the show just kind of barrels on and she's going to have to deal with it herself. Again, another one. Um, but what do you think made this hostage woman uh, allow the rest of Sky Crew to cross the radiation fence? Because I, she didn't have to, you know? No, and there's a moment. She stops. Yeah, she, she hesitates. About it. Um, I'm so glad you brought this up because I was going to ask you the same question. And I, I feel like for me, it's kind of what we've been saying all along is like 
from what we know from the trailers and from like the promotional stuff this season, this society seems very peaceful. Mm-hmm. Um, and if, if we're giving this woman the benefit of the doubt and she did not come up to the mothership with nefarious reasons and it was more either for an escape purposes or whatever, I don't think she is a bad person. And I don't think I – th- I think at the end of the day, she – even though they just killed her whole family – or what I'm assuming is her family. Um, I think she's looking at the situation and is like, what What do I gain from leaving them here? You know? Um, so I, I think at the end of the day, she's like, she's just, you know, questioning herself and the choices that she's making. What do you think? Uh, I just have two notes about what you said. Um, first off, now that you're reminding me that this is really her family, this woman does not seem that broken up about the fact that her husband possibly and then possibly daughter daughter. and daughter son-in-law just died yeah (laughs) it's going back to my body's question it's yeah it's just she's having a very odd reaction and then second um I do agree that I think this is kind of a peaceful um society but I also think that in her mind they're holding her family's bodies hostage and so she has to like bring along. them in and, and play along so she can get the bodies back i think that's a really good point really good point um poor bellamy he looks when he wakes up and like looks at clark and realizes what he's done and what he almost did he looks so devastated and it's so sad yeah i mean the look that passes between them i mean they both remember everything that happened vividly i mean they like and i think it's forcing them to reconcile with the fact that they they have a lot of stuff to deal with Mm -hmm. they can't hide behind it anymore i hope this leads to a discussion next episode maybe that's when the um trailer line comes in about uh her calling him every day but you know leaving him to die in the fighting pits yeah um i would like this to be cleared up sooner rather than later i would also like it just because i think they both have a lot of and especially clark has a lot of personal growth that needs to happen um this season and there's not a lot of time for them to like deal with their own issues that should have been dealt with last season but i'll let that go bum, bum, bum. <laughs> Um, Octavia also actually looks really devastated when Bellamy is like, why is she here? Yeah. It, like, she has this, like, hopeful look on her face. And then when he dismisses her, it's almost like he slapped her. And she kind of is back to where she kind of fell earlier this episode. Like, her lowest point of, like, no one in this world cares about me. I don't care about myself. Is there anything left of me to save? Yeah. No, it's so true. It was like a slap in the face. Um, another thing, of course, what is the deal with Murphy and the freaky black veins? I have no idea what this is. So is this, is it, is it the, I don't know. Well, that's the question. If he was inoculated from the toxins by this bug that bit him earlier, um, is this like a poison from that? Is this from something else? Uh, this looks, it looks like night blood. It looks like night blood, but it's greener. Oh, it looked very black to me. It's like black, but tinged with green. Um, it doesn't well, look as like black, black as night blood to me. Well, we did see in the trailer, the first trailer, that there's that snake. Yeah. Um, and it's about to like, or it does actually kind of sting someone who has black veins. And I'm wondering if that's like the cure yeah. for Murphy. Yeah. That's what I was wondering too. I don't know. I don't know what's going on with yeah. him. It's very scary. We'll like, find out. As Probably Cl- very quickly. We'll find out. As Clark said, we have no idea how to survive on this planet. Yeah. But luckily, there are some people who do, namely this woman and these creepy kids. <laughs> so who are these creepy kids? Where did they come from? 
I don't know. Here, My question is, see, when I first saw this, I was thinking, oh, the eclipse is over and everyone is being, like, coming out of hiding. But uh-huh. it is odd to me that... Unsupervised group of children? Yeah. Like, where are the adults? Mm-hmm. Where, who, where did these children come from? And these children do seem to know this woman. Um, she seems to be, like, some sort of authority figure to them. Yeah. But then they have that, like, child who's, like, the Night King in the front who is like kind of creepy and she seems to be in charge and I don't know if I'm the only one who read it this way but she seems like she's like higher ranking than the woman on the ship I did not read it anywhere close to what you did I I don't think she seems like she's in charge at all I think she seems like she's a kid she's like oh new people are you here to help us like I think maybe she was like one of the older kids who might have been like in charge of some of the younger ones, but I, know, I don't... I know that's what we're supposed to think, and that's probably what it is. But I have this weird spidey sense tingling that there's something wrong with her and that she's, like, older than she seems. And it's mm. creeping me out. <laughs> I don't agree with you here. That's, Just given the way good. that the woman talked to her, which was like, it's okay, you're okay. You know, like, she... The woman was like, mm-hmm. you know talking to these kids like they were like kids. their kids um but you know who knows this is a freaky I don't know. planet something so. some i don't know if i'm maybe i'm not pinpointing what it is that i'm picking up on but something's wrong something's very wrong i um, mean i think there's just some there's a cd underbelly to this planet and we shall discover it <laughs> <laughs> all right well not, no pun intended guys will the plants in the cd underbelly <laughs> oh my god you made a pun um okay so that was the episode uh some things we want to talk about um, usually always talk about title meanings and how they um, are used throughout the episode. Of course, we didn't get Sanctum last time, but I did just want to very briefly touch on on what it means now that we have used it and what it means in this context. Um, so as we, we all know what Sanctum is, uh, Sanctuary, she literally spelled it out for us earlier this episode. <laughs> Ever so helpfully. Uh, thank you very much, <laughs> Josephine. Um, but I do think it's really cool that there's like the literal meaning of Sanctuary and then it's flipped on its, on its all. The mm-hmm. meaning is flipped halfway through and this happens twice, right? Yeah. The, the Allegis mission people arrive and it seems like a Sanctum paradise to them and then all of a sudden it turns into a nightmare and then the exact same thing happens when our guys land there and it seems like this heavenly paradise and then guess what? The planet's evil. Um, <laughs> it's but it's the planets eat you. <laughs> so I think it's really funny that, you know, the idea of Sanctum is sanctuary and it's yeah. just, it's not. And then also you get to this Disneyland castle place that looks like a sanctuary but we know is not going to be one for them for very long um and then now just to get back into the to the actual episode we're talking about today red sun rising I mean there's a few ways in which we can talk about this and the way it relates to this this episode obviously it's the title of the children's book that you know is the premonition for what's happening with the plants um I do think it's super evocative of like an astrological omen and I can totally see this community as being into astrology. They seem like the type, um, you know, with like sun rising in your houses and like all that stuff feels super, super uh, culty I mean, to me. If you'll remember, uh, Josephine's father is an astronomer mm-hmm. um, and I don't know again what role he plays, if any, mm-hmm. but we know Josephine plays a role yeah. and I think just having that, you know, upbringing of a, an astronomer father probably 
really affected her. So I don't I don't know if I would say astrology, but I think definitely I mean, I guess maybe I think maybe like a a more scientific astrology than what astrology really is. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think I meant it didn't mean it in the children's book specifically. I meant the title of the episode and like um like the way that people attribute um like astrological meanings to the way that it affects human behavior. Yeah. So like when the when the sun is rising, it affects you your emotions like when the moon is rising you feel certain wa- people feel certain ways when the sun is rising you feel certain ways yeah yeah yeah. i um, can see that yeah. yeah so that's what i was more okay. talking about um not in relation to the actual children's book but in like the episode well, as a whole i was just when you said like the community being into astrology i was thinking maybe a little bit more like the astrology we have on this planet which i don't necessarily think is true but i could see them having a, like a more mystical view of astronomy yeah which Very I guess fair. is astrology, but, you know, I think yeah. there's a distinction between the two. <laughs> um, maybe it's a hybrid of both. Yeah. Um, and then also the most, I think, obvious one is red is the color of anger. And we see that expressed in... There's some anger rising. Every character <laughs> across the board. So lots of fun things to parse out there. Yeah. Um, okay, let's move on to our favorite lines. I have changed my mind. You have? Yes. I've changed my mind too? Oh my God. <laughs> Wait. Okay. We're going to do this. at. Well. We, it, this was rough for us. We like got to this favorite line part and neither of us could really think pinpoint of pinpoint a single line that like really impacted us. Yeah. So we picked a couple, like we picked one each. And so I guess we've both, now that we've gone through this we've whole gone episode, through an episode again, <laughs> we've actually remembered what our favorite line. Okay. What's yours? Um, so my original one was what Clark says to Murphy, which is, is that what you want to hear that I'm the bad guy? Fine. I'll be the bad guy. And I do like this line, but I think the line that, ultimately I think I'm going to choose now is what fake Abby Clark's mind Abby says to Clark which was um I've told you before there are no good guys but there are Clark you're just not one of them Mm -hmm. because I think that more so than anything really encapsulates Clark's emotional and mental space at this exact point in time and I think this is what we have to work on going forward this is like the deepest trauma that she has and that she's going to have to you know figure out and and deal with um and so I like that we get to kind of pinpoint this beginning of the journey and hopefully see that kind of come to a full arc later on I love that I agree um okay so (laughs) I'm gonna tell you what I picked first yeah don't laugh at me no I loved this line it was Bellamy's quib which was like in all fairness that was me because I just again I will never get tired of funny Bellamy he's delightful and <laughs> he I really love him yeah. um and I just again I just like the this new version of him and what it represents as far as what they're doing with his character this season I think it's really important and we talked about that a lot but actually what my favorite line is is something that Josephine said when her dad was like what you know he's like going on his like tangent about you know whether he's found god in this place or he believes in him or not and he's like what would you say to that if i told you that and she retorts back to him i would say that not everything that's miraculous is a miracle mm-hmm. which is like mic drop first of all what a great line yeah that is a great line. what a great clap back to your dad <laughs> who's like kind of showing off number two i just think it's such an amazing sentiment which is that things can feel and seem amazing in awesome in both terrible and and wonderful ways but it doesn't mean that it's that way for a reason you know not everything has to be that way because someone said it so you know I think people maybe put too much significance or weight on things 
and sometimes things bad things just happen and you need to or good things really happen and it's just it's just the way it goes um I I love this line well and also there's just so much natural beauty and things of interest in our world and our universe and a lot of that can be attributed to science not necessarily faith and I think her saying like not everything that's miraculous is also a miracle is also her talking about sanctum and how like it might feel like it's like this place that's going to save them but really in her mind at this point it's just you know dirt and rocks and weird animals and then conversely on that not everything that's um you know awe-inspiring needs to be explained yeah you know I think there's this tendency to over over analyze over classify without it not without appreciating something for just what it is and the nature of it um so anyway I thought that was a brilliant line and I'm obsessed with it now I want it as a tattoo (laughs) um which I'm not doing by the way (laughs) no more tattoos for me I have one and that's enough um favorite scene what was your favorite scene um my favorite scene is when Octavia uh, Octavia wow Uh, Octavia goads the group into uh beating her up and she just like breaks down in front of them um which is it's surprising to me that the last two episodes my favorite scenes have been both Octavia scenes it's a good sign it is a good sign for the rest of the season um just given that I've I've needed a lot from Octavia's character for so long that I just have not been getting um so I'm I'm really excited to see where this plot line goes Octavia is one of the characters I'm most interested to follow this season so I I loved that scene I thought it was great absolutely I loved it too what about yours my favorite scene was when Clark um, starts being affected by the toxin and Abby is coming t- talking her into suicide and Murphy comes to her rescue I think there was something really emotionally true about that scene and I love vulnerable Ernest Murphy me too I, I adore him we don't get it enough we don't get it a lot but it was powerful and really really well done Okay, so let's wrap this up um, with the next episode preview. The next episode is 603 called The Children of Gabriel. In this episode, Clark tries to win over the leaders of Sanctum in order to let her people stay. Meanwhile, Bellamy, Echo, and Octavia discover a new threat while on a mission to retrieve the transport ship. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. New threat? Bodies? Swirly do? Creepy children? I feel like the new threat's going to be the, like, Grounders 2.0 out there. Oh, yeah. You're probably right. I forgot about them. Um, But let's first talk about the children of Gabriel as a title. Yeah. Like, okay, Dr. Gabriel is the dude she was making out with at the beginning. Are these creepy children the children of Gabriel? What does that mean? How is that? Like, are they supposed to be, like all like literally the children of Gabriel like did he just donate a lot of sperm (laughs) or is it like an occult position I don't know or was he just like the saint of children and like yeah they all of the I I I cannot wait to find this out nothing good I feel (laughs) it does does not bode well it's so biblical yeah um for a society that seems built on so much science um oh really I think it's built on a lot of religion well faith right but I'm saying the allegiance mission is scientific mission and then to be converted into this like faith-based society something had to have happened yeah it makes me nervous um, but it also seems like what we and a lot of people have theorized is true, which is 
we know that Clark stays in Sanctum while the rest of her people leave her to go somewhere. Presumably here in this episode, it's to retrieve the dropship. Um, but it's Clark here trying to convince the Sanctum leaders that like her people deserve a place in their society, which is what we kind of thought. But yeah. I just like kind of seeing that confirmation and I'm excited to see it happen. So. Yeah. All good things. Yeah. Okay, guys, that's our episode. Um, sorry it was so long. If you'd <laughs> like to get in contact with us, you can. You can email us at skycastcrew at gmail.com. That's S-K-A-I-C-A-S-T-K-R-U at gmail.com. You can also tweet at us at skycast, and you can also tweet at us from our own Twitter accounts. I am at bperlman89. And I'm at Sarah R. McCabe. And that is our show. So just a heads up, unfortunately, we will be late for episode three, but we promise we'll get it out as soon as humanly possible, but we don't think it'll air before. Well, epi- we're, we're positive we're, we won't get it out before, before episode four episode airs. Because um, so, I will be out of town, so yeah. I will not be here. <laughs> Sorry about that, but it is what it is. Yeah. Um, until then, may we meet again. May we meet again. Bye. Bye.